Cloverfield you're the Cloverfield movie. monster. <laughs> Sorry, you're both of them. Oh, Sorry, oh you're all three of them. Oh, four. Yeah. One, two, three. Uh, 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 uh. Oh my god, this is this is gold right here. <laughs> Why don't you both shut the fuck up? And let, you know. <laughs> oh well, you're a great moderator. The connected twishu, 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 twishu. What's the twist so simple? What's the twist? The thematic schematic. The son of a bitch. The thematic schematic of Cloverfield. <laughs> when he does turn the camera around on himself early in the film, I'm like, oh man, that's like Seth Rogen fat. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, the regular guys are back at it again, as we'll be discussing the 2008 film Cloverfield and the 2016 film 10 Cloverfield Lane. Hey, do you guys remember a couple of years ago when that guy was lighting homeless people on fire? If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 55 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with the guys, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hey, what's up? Hello there. Yeah, someone is pumped. I love it. I'm excited. I don't know about you guys. The enthusiasm is palpable. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just drinking out of my new coffee mug, and I'm just having a ball. I know, Toussaint got us all Christmas gifts about <laughs> three months late, but we did get them, so He likes counts. to surprise us. They're not Christmas gifts. They were anniversary gifts. <laughs> they started as Christmas gifts. <laughs> Whatever, man. <laughs> Anyways, Toussaint got us gifts, which are... Uh, the Channel 4 News Team mugs from the movie Anchorman, and they are awesome. They are. And I'm drinking beer out of one right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure uh, Ron Burgundy and the rest of the, the Channel 4 <laughs> News Team had scotch or some other alcoholic beverage in theirs the entire time. I was going to say, it's actually, it's, I think it's a great thing, because you bought us a gift in which we will never use for its exact purpose, because I don't think any of us drink coffee. I do. do you, well, but do you ever drink coffee here, so no. to speak? So there we go. So, but that's good. We're inventive. <laughs> I like the way you turned your head too. I, you just reminded me of uh, that the one time when uh, in that film. But well, I, I, I felt like I sounded like uh, that Chris Farley Chris character. Farley. Yeah, you remember that you remember one time? That one time you were in the beat. Die Hard <laughs> when you were walking across the grass. <laughs> That was awesome. Remember that one time you were in the Beatles? Yes. Yes, in fact, I do remember that one time I was in the Beatles. Paul was dead, but you weren't really dead. So what was up with that? (laughs) This is really off to a roaring start. I think so. I mean, we usually usually get off to really good. And in fact, if you go back and compare it to some of our other episodes, um, Hmm, this is probably one of the better. In the top tier episodes, I think. (laughs) Nick, you look like a... 
like a guy from a Folgers commercial just holding that cup. <laughs> you look so happy. I'm so happy that you lied. I do. The best yeah. part of waking up, man. Yeah. So true. So anyways, what I was actually trying to talk about was Please. the scene in the film when Veronica becomes part of the news team and they are all trying to find ways to... <laughs> to hit on her? Well, no, no, no. This was when she's become the co-anchor. Oh, oh the news team. Right, right, right. And they're trying to find a way to sort of put her down because, you know, that's just what women needed at that time. Oh. Uh, and anyways, they all are like looking away and then they just turn and have the smile on their face. And that's just what you did to me with your little mug. Oh, man, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about the 2008 film Cloverfield and we're also talking about the new film that's in theaters now, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, these films are... Uh, Whatever you think about them, they are quite different from one another, even though they have similar things going on. Yes, they are. And we will get into both of the and films. And they share a word in their titles. In fact, they do. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that astute observation, Nick. That's why I'm here. And slushies. <laughs> they, sh- they share slushies. So. Good. They yeah. do. Well, we'll bring up other things about them and uh, other feelings on both of those films in just a little bit. First off, though, we did get an email, which, uh, believe it or not, we do get these every now and then. And it is from uh, Film Tank listener Colin, friend of the show. Hey, Colin. Hey, Colin. Yeah, I guess I should say hey, Colin, too. I, okay. Ooh. I was just saying what? hi to her. Nothing. What, what was that? <laughs> Nothing. You were like pulling your shirt like, oh, oh no, I, shit. Yeah. I honestly just, I had an itch, so I scratched it. I mean, okay. I don't know why you did the like Simpsons collar tug thing. Because um, his name's Colin. It's I just said hey, Colin, because <laughs> I want our listeners to feel appreciated when they, you know, when they email us. Yeah. This is a conversation, you know, this is not a one-way street. We like to be with our listeners as much as possible. Yeah, I feel the same way. After hours. Uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) Anyway, Alex, why don't you read the email? (laughs) Moving on. So, uh, Colin uh, wrote in following the Django Unchained episode, and uh, he says, Dear Film Tank, during your discussion of Django Unchained, there was one aspect of the film that I think you guys overlooked. Django, much like the rest of Tarantino's work, is a character piece first and foremost. You made the observation that, yes, Dr. Schultz does indeed rescue Django from his, let's say, predicament in the opening scene of the film, but the term used during that discussion was that he freed him. I would have stressed the great difference between those two terms. Django frees himself throughout the duration of the film. For most of it, he's more or less following Dr. Schultz's lead. Following Dr. Schultz being killed, however, Django is captured and led away by a trio of Aussie slavers who succeed, who he succeeds in tricking and killing on his own. At this point, I'd assert that he's gained his freedom truly, which is further emphasized by him bidding farewell to Schultz before he proceeds to blow shit up at the end. Anyway, thought I would share those thoughts with you guys, Colin. So, uh, first off, thank you very much, Colin, for Thanks, sending Colin. that in. Thanks, Colin. And we've all said hi, and we've all thanked him now, so that, <laughs> yeah. that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we had a pretty in-depth discussion about Django, and we, we um, talked at length, I think, about um, slavery and, the, and Django as a, as a slave film, mm-hmm. especially comparing it to uh, The Hateful Eight, is, uh, and talking about the climate, I think, of uh, slavery films, especially now in 2016. Yeah. And yeah, I think he definitely does have a point about that. I I think, <sighs> if I may step in. Yeah, go ahead. I believe we did 
kind of address this idea because exactly. I remember at least at one point during the conversation, not that I want to rehash what we said, mm-hmm. but um, at one point we did uh, discuss the semantics that Dr. Schultz uses in the bar, the saloon, yeah. when he says he has to use the situation to his advantage. I do think that the, the distinguishing mark of Colin's letter is that he is looking at Django Unchained as a character piece and not necessarily as a as a black exploitation like right. slavery film. It's like and I and I do agree with him on, on that end, like but also just to kind of like play devil's advocate on our part, like our episode was probably sitting around somewhere around two and a half hours. It was very exhaustive. A very good episode that I'm very proud of. Yeah, me too. And there's only so much like it, it's a credit to the <clears throat> To the film itself that we were able to talk at length for that that amount of time and we still weren't able to unpack all the different avenues for which you can actually look at that film yeah. so really like i want to thank colin for being able to write in and actually like add that sort of voice to that because as much as we talked about there's so much to say about it yeah right? and I, as i was mentioning when we first got i first got done reading his, his uh comments I, I do kind of agree with what he's saying that we didn't talk about that specifically because <laughs> Um, you know, we talked more about uh, the issue of slavery as it relates to this film and how it is played out throughout the film and kind of the antics that Tarantino goes through in this film as compared to some of his other works. Yeah. But but I, 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 I guess I still feel like even though that that is true in a way that Django frees himself, he still would not have been in that situation if it weren't for Dr. Schultz anyways. Mm. So, true, true. Yeah. Not mean, to mention he <clears> – <throat> If you say he's, I would say, if if you say he hasn't gained his freedom, like if, if it's as black and white, and I'm not saying Colin is making it out to be, yeah. but if you say that Django is not freed yet, that's almost like an insult to what I would say true slaves were experiencing, because he is experiencing a much different situation than somebody who quite literally is your... I would say typical American, African American slave. So it, it's just there, there is no rhetoric to support what Django is in this movie. It, it's like a, a case of the chicken and the egg. Like right. what came first? Like Django was able to free himself, but he was only able he was enabled to be able to infiltrate Candyland and be able to previously like kill the Brill brothers and like hone his skills as a gunslinger so that he could eventually like save his wife simply by being an attache to Dr. Schultz. Well, and the only way, well, at least I take it as probably the only way he actually gets in the scenario where he can uh, kill the Aussies slavers, which included Quentin Tarantino with that excellent accent. Mm-hmm. Um, Got a bird to die to white for you, guys. <laughs> was he shows him the handbill, which he gets from Dr. King Schultz after he shoots uh, the, I forget his name, but shoots the, the guy out in the middle of the field earlier on in the film. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean... I feel like it's not an open and shut discussion about it. Like, obviously, there are things for showing both that, yes, he did need to do some to really help himself at, at the end of the film. And he learned a lot about, um, you know, becoming a free man and, and actually being able to be part of the, the world and be a, be a free person and fight for your freedom. But at the same time, he also needs assistance to get to that point. So, yeah. yeah. It's a very dicey situation, let me tell you. Schultz and uh, Django needed one another in order to affect like both of their objectives, which was... And I, I actually will say that, and that's another point that I really feel like we didn't spend that much time talking on on, yeah. uh, on that episode, because I feel like Dr. King Schultz never would have shot Calvin Candy at the beginning of the film. Yeah. 
Yeah, he wouldn't. Yeah. I think I think it's only because of how much it, it really is a is a mark of how much Django and his wife like means to him that he helped like carry them through this journey. And well, I, I I guess I don't necessarily agree with that particularly because okay. I think if it was just Django and it was Django's wife Brumhilda that mattered to him. He yeah. would not have done that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's right because he could have very easily gotten yes. killed. Yeah. <laughs> no. For I mean, I believe I had mentioned, and maybe somebody else did, but I thought I had mentioned on the podcast when we did it last week that about that specific moment that that is his big character arc, so to speak, mm-hmm. is that he finally gets to a point where he can no longer keep the charade up because he realizes that he is just as bad as a slaver if he keeps a charade. Well, you had mentioned that, but I, I guess right. what I more meant is that we had not gone deep into detail about that as a right. character trait as we spent more time talking about Django as opposed to Dr. King Schultz and sort of the arc that he has throughout the film. If Schultz had shook his hand, then he would have... <laughs> been he he would have pretty much culminated playing into this entire apparatus of of slave labor that he detests so much and he would become indistinguishable from that of a slave owner that he detests so much but also that he by the beginning it. of the movie he he didn't detest so much he's kept saying he did and yeah. that's the that is a type of racism so to speak mm-hmm. if that's even present in today's world where yeah. you say like oh god no like I hate racism and I hate whatever, but then you never once ever back up your words. Yeah. Like, you, he can be the most articulate son of a bitch around the West, but unless you're actually, you know, advocating and, uh, you know, get, uh, supporting your words, your words don't mean shit. Yeah. For any astronomy aficionados among you, the North Star is that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. English is not my first language. <laughs> yeah, that opening scene with him is uh, just pretty damn good. Yeah. It is. Well, thank you very much for writing in, Colin, and feel free to send anything our way in the future. And any we hope else this has... was an adequate response yeah. to uh, to what you had to bring up because I appreciated it. Yeah, yeah. thank well, you. And again, Colin, if you or anyone else out there has any thoughts ever about movies we review or movies you'd like us to review or really anything about films or even TV, really? Yeah, we, we talk TV. About <laughs> Nick Nick knows all about TV, and, I do. and we for the most part as a group, watch TV somewhat regularly. Some of us, obviously, more than others. Like who? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, send those on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. We are always happy to get uh, feedback from the listeners. All right. So, moving on to the uh, double feature we're doing today, talking about Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane. Obviously, the uh, the latter just released uh, recently here and has gotten a lot of praise. So, we will talk about that in a little bit. But we'll start off with the film that came out first, which was 2008's Cloverfield, which was directed by Matt Reeves and had involvement uh, by uh, also J.J. Why am I? J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. Abrams. And uh, it was written by Drew Goddard. Uh, the film stars a whole crew of people who, some of them you probably never heard from again, like Mike Vogel and Jessica Lucas. There's that one guy who's on Silicon Valley now. I was going to say, but there yeah. is T.J. Miller and also Lizzie Kaplan who show up in the film as well. Yeah. Uh, the film uh, centers around a group of friends who venture deep into the streets of New York on a rescue mission during a rampaging monster attack. My name is Robert Hawkins. Approximately seven hours ago, uh, something attacked the city. 
Um, you found this. If you're watching this, then you know more about it than I do. Hello? Beth? Beth, where are you? Okay, we cannot go into the middle of the city. We gotta get out of here. There's nothing you can do for now. Do you know what that thing is? Whatever it is, it's winning. Do you have any idea what's out there? I don't care what's out there. Listen to me. She's dying. Turn that camera... You could call it Escape from New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. Except there's already a movie called that. <laughs> I know. That was the joke. Sorry. So, um, Toussaint, this is really uh, in your realm of, of science fiction, I would say. Yeah. Even though the kind of handy cam, uh, steady cam, jumble cam, whatever you want to call it. Found footage? Found footage. Found, yeah. There we go. That was that was better than the words I was using. <laughs> so you were you're describing the aesthetics, whereas really yes. it was... It found footage. Yes, yeah. there you go. And 2008 was right around the time when found footage films were still just like pumping out like this, quarantine, all kinds of shit. When quarantine is a found footage movie? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I've never seen it. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Quarantine, and actually this would be something that you would say and normally, Nick, but I... I've oh. never seen the original, but Quarantine is uh, a remake of a foreign film that I've heard is actually like terrific. Huh. Mm-hmm. So I have yeah. not seen that one, but I have seen Quarantine, and it is, in fact, a found footage film that yeah. looks better than most found footage <laughs> films in terms of it looks professional-ish. It was I. Yeah, it was okay. It was an okay movie. Yeah, it was, it was I. great. Yeah. So yeah, Toussaint, again, this is this is in right in your wheelhouse in terms of the, the science fiction genre, so okay. why don't you start off our reveal... Review of Cloverfield. All right. So I just want to talk about how this film appeals to me on a trifecta level in that I love science fiction films. I love giant monster films. uh, And I also have an affinity for found footage films. I like found footage films that are done very well because there are – there are otherwise films such as – and I don't want to completely forfeit my hand on this this other film called Chronicle, which I think is very like well constructed. What are you about to say? What am I about to say is like I feel like there are a lot of films that work within the work within the format of a found footage like genre, but they don't technically count as found footage because that footage is never actually found. It's never an actual artifact within the actual space of the film within that universe that is actually collected by somebody within that universe and and people aren't really like contextualizing that as it actually influences that world. I'm not accusing Cloverfield of that. I think that Cloverfield is actually a sterling example of this because it is bookended on both ends by the fact that it is, it is footage that has been um, collected by the U.S. government and has basically been slapped on with this title, which is just like a um, a backronym or just like some clandestine like like 
code name called Cloverfield. Like that's the justification within this universe of this film for why it is named Cloverfield. And I think that there's a lot of there's there's a lot of flack that J.J. Abrams gets for like somehow his his non involvement or disinvolvement with this film. And I'm gonna actually argue that that's not the case. I think that like J.J. Abrams was actually a critical part of like why this film was even made in the first place because he produced it and and elicited like Drew Goddard and Matt Reeves to actually direct it because he wanted to make the American equivalent of Godzilla. That was that was pretty much the whole thing. He wanted to resuscitate this dying middling genre that had pretty much been smothered in its bed by Roland Emmerich's like rendition, Masterpiece. his rendition. I'll call it a rendition of Godzilla that people don't like to talk about. Um, and I think that it very much did succeed at that. And I think that honestly, like you, like Alex, you said that I, I'm very much in, into science fiction and that's true. Like I'm going to give you a very science fiction answer for why I actually like Cloverfield and that I will make the argument that Cloverfield is both like the length of an average film and it is not. It exists in two different aspects in that there are two Cloverfields. There is J.J. Abrams like alternate reality game Cloverfield and then there is the film like by Matt Reeves Cloverfield that exists simultaneously and yet separately from one another in that aspect because I've actually talked to a lot of people recently like about like this new Cloverfield film that's coming out and the original one. And they would tell me, like back in 2008, that they never went to go see Cloverfield. They never went to went to be involved with that, but they were heavily involved, engrossed even, in the alternate reality game that J.J. Abrams created through the marketing. And I think that one thing that I really do enjoy about Abrams, even though I think that he, for me, is very hit and miss, and he's kind of like very middle of the ground when it comes to like being a producer of like procedural like science fiction speculative like action dramas and stuff like that i think that he knows something very well that actually works to his success as a producer and that he knows that the part of the success and the impact of a story is in how it's told not necessarily in what is being told and that's why he employs so many different multimedia like aspects in order to like tell that story and matt reeves for to his credit creates a film that i think that works very well of like building off the momentum of that relay race that that J.J. Abrams started with his marketing. So that's my initial opening argument on that. Okay, right on. Yeah, I'll say I am I'm a definitely a fan of Cloverfield. I uh, saw this actually. I never saw this in the theater, which was kind of disappointing looking back on it because I obviously wish I would have. But I, I caught on to this film later in the game, probably like I don't know, like six years ago or something like that. And I first saw it and. I guess I was just kind of enamored by the 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 idea of it of, of this found footage film that has so many cool graphics in it, even if some of them aren't the greatest, like the um, the Statue of Liberty head flying into the middle of the street, which did not look that great. I didn't think that is actually very interesting that you said that because the story behind like the production of that. I, one know, scene. I know they changed the graphic because originally people were like, cause it was really re a lot smaller. Yeah. Is that correct? And yeah. then people, when they saw it in the test screen, they're like, that doesn't look like the statue of Liberty. But that's head. the actual proportionate size. of. That I know. Yeah. So they made it much larger and it just was just sitting right there in the middle of the street because Americans are stupid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I also do think that of all the parts of that film that I think do look so good, especially in a found footage film, 
including the Brooklyn Bridge scene, which is one of my favorite CGI scenes of all time in any film. That um, that Statue of Liberty scene. I, every time I watch it, I have to hold back laughter because it's so ridiculous to me. But that's okay. Yeah. Um, the, for, for the most part, the rest of the film, though, I I do like quite a bit because I feel like the acting isn't great in the rest of the film, um, but. I feel like it feels at least genuine among the characters. Like the characters are playing into this universe that the director and J.J. Um, Abrams have created. Picking T.J. Miller to be the person behind the camera, having his comments every now and then was a just perfect choice, I think, because he brings a completely different element to this film than I feel like you would find in a lot of other films of this ilk. Like he brings the weird comments in the middle of nowhere like when they're walking through the subway and there's tension and he talks about do you guys remember a few years ago when that guy was lighting homeless people on fire in the subway what was that all about jesus <laughs> fucking christ hud shut the fuck up <laughs> i will say i think his presence is a great choice here because of the fact that he's behind the camera so he never does get i would say superfluous in his use he never gets in the way exactly but we still get to hear his i think impeccable delivery because i find tj miller himself just to be very funny I do as well, and I feel like um, this is an interesting use of him because this is before a lot of his kind of rise to popularity. This which is his breakout. Yeah, yeah, well, it's part of it. Yeah, uh, it, it was interesting though because I haven't seen this movie in a few years. But when he does turn the camera around on himself early in the film, I'm like, oh man, that's like Seth Rogen fat. Like early on, like he's, <laughs> he's dropped some weight since yeah. then. Way to go, TJ. Yeah, uh, hey, but it's not fat shame. <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah. So I, I still feel like the other characters in this film play their parts really well because they are just playing people in this ridiculous situation that are playing characters that sometimes are ridiculous. And they I feel like they belong where they are in the story. So I, I like that part of it. And obviously, uh, when it comes to actually chasing around the monster, running away from it, hiding from it. Um, running into the confusion of the the government being involved and in the middle of the street when tanks and people with machine guns just come up behind them and start shooting. And it just feels like chaos the entire time, which is exactly what the scenario would be like. And I feel like that was perfectly captured by Matt Reeves in this film. And even though there are parts of the film that are not great, that aren't the Statue of Liberty head, um, I find this film quite fascinating and I enjoy rewatching it every time. So that's my thoughts and I'm moving on to Nick. Well, uh, I guess I'm going to be a bit of a dissenting opinion here, but <laughs> really, I wouldn't say passionately. So I, 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 I saw this movie back when it came out, not in theaters, but immediately when it dropped on DVD because I missed it in theater, even though I'd always I wanted to see it, and I remember even renting it from Redbox, which is a weird memory that I somehow still have. But anyway, <laughs> it was your first Redbox movie. <clears throat> it very well might have been, and probably my last. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so I, I remember bringing it home, finally getting to see it and watching it because I, 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 as someone who loves TV, because we kind of mentioned that earlier, so I guess I'll expand on that for a second because I, I love TV for the same reason why I'm very interested in a movie like Cloverfield because I love the idea of taking something we know, which is like in this case a a thriller, a monster movie, whatever, but then just trying to do it differently for an entire film and see if it works. So in this case, it's found footage, because found footage, I would say, as much as the Blair Witch Project certainly started the movement, because it was the first uh, of its kind. Mm. Well, okay, not the first, but the first to be recognized uh, 
<laughs> Where did this start, Tucson? I mean, it started in 1980, I think, with Cannibal Holocaust, like that. Right, it, but it, it's it's a it's a. Was it the? <clears throat> f- can we can we say that the Blair Witch Project was the first like breakout people of mainstream people really embracing the found footage genre? I would. I'm talking academic. I, 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 I would. I would. I would say that it was the first like commercial breakout yes okay. for right. this this yes. genre yeah. that is all i meant yeah <laughs> and uh i apologize no problem so um even though i would say the Blair witch project has started that mainstream movement of it um i i still feel like i even though they're like like you said quarantine was one like i feel like we really never got that much of a movement from it i mean as much as it was it was one like of we those... can count on our hands we got a many... lot of copycats well, no, what I'm trying to argue is that I feel like we didn't get not enough because I'm not saying we need more or whatever, but it didn't catch on. So to I was going to say it's something that came and went. Right. It was it was I feel like the Chronicle was 2011, yeah. I think, and that was way after I think it had already kind of died down, so mm-hmm. to speak. But and there have been some obviously since then, too, but not that I feel like it's comparative to this at all, but I feel like it is just one of those things like. Um, vampires were for a while and zombies where it's just something that caught on that studios noticed that people were going to see. So they're like, boy, we should take advantage of this. And then there were more of them. And then when they stopped being popular, there were less of them. So it's not that there won't be any, but it's just less. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I guess that was my roundabout way of saying that I was very interested in seeing Cloverfield originally because of the found footage aspect and Howard and as someone who I, I knew J.J. Abrams from Lost and not only that, but while I didn't have experience with the alternate reality game surrounding Cloverfield, I was very, very much immersed in um, the, shall we say, second life of the television show Lost, which was the J.J. Abrams uh, production. Um, and that's really, just to go off of what Toussaint was saying, that, that is what his strength is. It's not, not just for me, it's thinking that he's better at TV than he is at movie, but if you look at what he does for TV, I think that shows you what he does well, which is that he He's made um, two of it's just two of the things he's done in a long list of things for TV. But he's made two of the greatest television pilots of all time, uh, Alias, which I'm not saying it's a great show, but that first episode is a stunning episode of television, and of course Lost, which that first episode again, and, and that's what he's good at. He's good at figuring out who to surround himself with to then and then like bringing that project to life so to speak and then letting them go go off into the into the woods and create their magic so to speak. Could I say this uh for for JJ Abrams and to his credit I feel like he's kind of figured out how to game the system just a little bit because um if, if we really think about it is there really anybody who can tell a story from beginning, middle and end and who can do it consistently in a great way because a lot of series and trilogies and that kind of thing seem to lose steam by the end of them. And then the last film or the last season or whatever is always kind of a, a disappointment for people for some reason. And J.J. Abrams seems to have patented this path of getting on board early and then getting the fuck away from it before it goes bad. <laughs> True. But yep. I would say that, that that's twofold in the sense that like you're absolutely right that it's gaming the system. But I don't think that anybody would call the pilot episode of Lost the best episode of Lost. You know what I mean? Like it, there, that show or even Alias maybe had so many other heights that have, I wouldn't say nothing to do with J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. But for me, the true test of like, can you te- is, can you build on what you've established? So that's why J.J. Abrams is no, is nowhere near 
hear like my favorite like TV producer mm-hmm. or something. But he's akin to somebody like Norman Lear. Uh, what he did for comedy, J.J. Abrams was kind of doing or and did for drama, which is figure out what needs to like be created mm-hmm. and and who's going to do it for him, so to speak. And and starting out these uh, incredible lineage of uh, television characters and environments. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I would say uh, Cloverfield. I watched it. <laughs> this was 2009, probably when it got released on DVD, so to speak. I watched it. I remember liking it, but like I remember that movie faded so fast yeah. uh, from my memory. Like, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I remembered it, but and I remember the found footage aspect. I didn't until this movie, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, was coming out. I genuinely, and when we started having conversations about Cloverfield, I forgot you actually saw monsters. Like I genuinely remembered it as this like walk through the streets, but you don't actually ever see anything. And that's hmm. actually my favorite part about this monster film, and that I feel like, I, I feel I feel like like Cloverfield really did succeed in trying to like resuscitate this entire genre because I feel like films like Pacific Rim or even Gareth Evans' own rendition of. Uh, Godzilla would not have been made had it not been for the precedent, the recent precedent. Well, then maybe you should of, have made this movie. Of, of Cloverfields. <laughs> like, I know that you don't like those films, but I really do. Uh, so I took a little bit of offense to that. Anyway. Oh, I'm offending the movies, not you. That's okay. Not yeah. Um, but you, you just a little bit. <laughs> I think that, like, Gareth Evans' uh, Godzilla in particular, like, takes a lot from this film just because, like, in Cloverfield, like, you're not really focusing so much on the monster. Like the monster is is not so much a character as it is kind of like this roving like ecological disaster that you're always like hinting at, but only you see think, you, but no. you only see it towards the end. I would well, say I, no. It's it's half and half in the sense that that not only was I blown away that you saw you see the monster quite up front as far as like within the first thirty minutes or so. Mm, uh, really? Of Cloverfield? Yeah. You see Here's the thing. And That's the other I, thing. Is that when the when the monster is actually like arching over like the side of that yeah. building and they're going under Here, underground? Here's what I'll say about what I, where I'll agree with Toussaint and disagree with him at the same time. If you don't mind, I was going to say but, you probably will articulate it better. I don't. Well, remember. I guess what I'm 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 agreeing with Toussaint about is that even though you technically see the monster, it's not like we spend like he's he's the frame is always moving. I feel like early on in the film when it's around, and it's not till the very end of the film where we get an elongated shot of the the you, monster. You get a fine. Fi- Finally, a full body shot of the actual monster oh, itself yeah. because it's less on it's less focused on the monster itself, but rather the reactions of these people in the wake of this event. But, however, I will disagree with you in, in a sense because I feel like the Clover monster actually perfectly plays a technically a supporting character in this film because the event every single thing that is happening with the Clover affects what is happening with all of the characters in the film like the building that he runs into and gets pushed over is involved with the girl Beth that uh, the lead character wants to go and save that was one of my favorite scenes yes I mean that like and that's another thing about like the awesome visuals of this film is I mean how many other films take such a simple idea and just run with it of one building falling into another and having to climb up the other building and honestly just go on the top of it and walk across which I thought was so awesome and this film just did it with a found footage film but also too just the small little things like the little um, parts of the clover that fall off and um, bite people and make them fucking explode which Mm. That's that's a great thing though what we were talking about. Like we never get like a full answer of what the fuck was happening. Why did her body just all of a sudden just psh, Yeah. And it's I, just so it's I'm I'm half and half. I'm kind of with both of you on I, this. I one. would connect 
I'm 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 pretty much gonna gonna stand by my argument that I would connect it to Gareth Evans in in the way that I feel like the way that that film is structured in that you don't have a full body shot of Godzilla until like maybe Whoa. like forty minutes into the film like I, you always like you're always looking at like like the pacing and the sides of 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 Godzilla you always see like his tail like moving you always see like the uh, the 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 spinal like spires of of his of his back just like upending out of the water and like here's yeah here's the thing i'll say to that though is because i actually don't disagree with what you're saying right now which yeah. is i think that's objectively true yeah is that he's he's working with something we already know even if he doesn't show us godzilla we know what godzilla looks like i i gotta say this is the second time i've seen cobra f- what but that's never mind yeah. what? No, it, it's fun it, because it's it, every single other like godzilla film has always had like godzilla like front and center it's like it's never had to like pace it out it's it, it's right, I, but... I i feel like gareth's movie like really does take after the precedent of matt reeves mo- movie I, i'm not necessarily even arguing against that i was just saying that i feel like he, not showing it doesn't mean that we we're not i would say not there's a difference between not showing the Cloverfield monster and not showing Godzilla. Like we this Godzilla, what this Godzilla? Right. I I know it's not the same Godzilla. I know that it's not like it's his interpretation of Godzilla. But Godzilla is has a consistent, I think, design from yeah. creature to creature. It's, it's 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 not like at one point he's he he always modeled after something that looks like Reptar from the Rugrats. Like just, or Reptar is modeled after him, right? I, but uh, I'm just saying, as far as the likeness, it's, he's never going to look like the Marshmallow Stay Puff uh, creature from Ghostbusters or something. Like it's just there there is a, a Godzilla. So that look. guy's going to show up, by the way, in that new Ghostbusters movie, right? He uh, probably yeah. We'll see. I was going to say if he doesn't. Uh, I'm going to be disappointed. That, uh, I'm not going to be disappointed. I was just say I don't know that that would affect my enjoyment of it one yeah. way or the other. I but mean, we'll, well, we all we'll, watch movies differently. We do. <laughs> um, but anyway, what was I saying? You were, you were talking about the, the view of the Godzilla monster as right. opposed to the Cloverfield monster. Before I even get back to my opinion, I guess let's just talk about something right now because I still – I, I, this is the second time I've watched Cloverfield, yeah. and I, I don't understand this movie at all as okay. far as the <laughs> – not literally, but um, as far as what this creature is. Like you guys are talking about, and I feel almost inadequate to be here because I genuinely don't get where we're getting names like the cloves and – what like, well, I don't well, even know. The, the, the name of the – technically the name of the monster that's just been – and it, they never like say it in the film, but the name right. of the monster is the clover. Like that's what the monster is called, isn't it? It's that's a name that was invented after the fact. It's not actually like classified in the actual film itself. They call it like a right. a massive like uh, something something type of like a aggressive creature or something right. like that, like a, fact- like a MAC or something like that. But it's. There's a lot of things that actually like go into, and and this goes back to the whole like like relay race like storytelling between like Abrams marketing and like Matt Reeves film because like if you if if you've watched like the last scene in Cloverfield and you've seen like the little speck the little like thing that just like flies into like the uh the the New York Bay like while they're on like when they're on the the, the Ferris wheel and stuff right then that's supposed to be a clue as to like what happened with with this actual creature and then if you actually like pay attention to some of the 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 extra the extra storytelling, like marketing around that, you also understand that there, there's a reason why Slusho, the company that owns Slusho, Taratuga Company, like 
what their role is in the the manifestation of this of this creature. And my I guess my thing is I'm all for things like alternate reality games. Like I like I said earlier, I was a huge fan of all the random fake shit they did for the show Law. So I'm not knocking anything Mm. of that ilk. But I also think the fact that this movie, I would say, almost needs an alternate reality game, Mm. for me, uh, is a a downfall of what this movie tries to do. I would be a hypocrite if I did not concede to that in part because that was – if you remember the very heart of my contention with Prometheus, that you had to fucking was, yeah. you had to fucking buy the DVD or Blu-ray. You had to buy the Blu-ray in order to get access to all the Wayland files in order to fucking understand ha- like three fourths of this shit. Yeah. Like you shouldn't have to need that. And I was actually quite literally when we just started this uh, tangent, I was just starting to think about our conversation mm-hmm. about Prometheus. So for for sure, that's a great example, and that's a movie I like. But I also concede is fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so therefore, I guess I'll get quickly get my general opinions out, and then we'll finally. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but as far as my general opinions go, it's it's just that I'm. Uh, shall we say I'm, I'm very down the middle of the road of this movie. Yeah. I I I admit that I'm kind of entertained from start to finish, but I don't think that it really succeeds at a lot of what it's trying to do. And I, I'm I'm torn between the same way that like like it, like a lot of times this movie uh, I think it failed its characters. I think it the found footage uh, aspect is actually I think ridiculous uh to this and i really don't like to uh poke holes at it because i can tell you probably every found footage film has holes so i i don't want to get too far into that Mm -hmm. but um some more than others some more than others but to at least to point out one example and as to like where i just i'm seeing a different movie so to speak Mm -hmm. you were saying that you liked um the way that this does contextualize the found footage like that that's that and i agree that that's a rare thing for a found footage movie to employ. It's a that, necessary thing for a found right. footage thing to employ. I would argue that while the movie does do that, it also makes it seem even more ludicrous as to what we're watching. Because, like, for example, like it, it only calls attention to itself as a found footage artifact. Because, like, I, I don't know why the government would keep the party files, so to speak, and all that. And I get that it's probably, if we're getting really technical, it's a mini-DV tape, and they're, they're just not going to cut it out. I don't whatever. I don't think that they didn't cut it out. It's like it's it's because of there's a reason why all of that footage is actually included in there. And it's because like it's leading up to the actual it's it's the it's probably for the audience, but not for an no, actual government no, no, use. No, no, for the actual government use, I think there is a reason, and I'm going to argue what that reason is. Please. Is because like of all the things that they were able to probably like get from New York in the shatter blasted crater that is now New York and I don't know if that Cloverfield monster is still alive or not. I mean there's the um at at the end of the credits there's like this little like muted um uh audio file that's kind of like played backwards that if you actually like go back and like it, it's 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 what JJ Abrams does and it's No like, it it is. And he, and, he, and it says like and it sounds like something towards like the the main character saying it's still alive or something like that. Paul's not dead. Yeah, Paul's not dead, man. Um but, but what I'm what I'm trying to trying to say about so that is like the why re- are the party things like the, why would the government be interested in that footage? Why would the the government be interested in that footage? One because I don't see a need to cut it, and two because it's the most complete. It's the most complete 
previous right right before the, before the event actually started to right after the culmination of that event. They're trying to see if they can find any clues to actually what actually like pertain to like what what sparked this yeah, whole I event. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're talking about just in that sense, I can kind of agree right, with right, that right, a little I, bit. That's the sense that I'm arguing. Well. For some of it, though, like some of it obviously is just a part of filmmaking. Yeah. Like we, we need an entire story to know the characters that we're following throughout this. And we get a little bit of that before the actual mm-hmm. chaos starts, you know, 15 minutes into the film. Yeah. But, yeah, when you're, you're talking about like the small things like seeing the satellite or the monster or whatever you want to say it is falling from the sky. Why didn't they just cut that part out at the end if they just wanted to see what the monster looked like? No, but see, that's a part that actually has now the part of... Um, the, the the friend and his girlfriend walking through the street and arguing or in the in the store like right. really that part has like that's not even like remote re- like related to like the event because if you just say you want to start it at the party I almost get that because mm-hmm. we're we're doing a timetable of like where these people are like what they're doing so to speak but i'm not even really that passionate about like I, so i'm not trying to nitpick here I, I just think it calls attention to itself where other found footage films might not do that because they don't lay out a a, a i would say th- they're not trying to have a concrete reason for its existence they they just like somebody found this tape and then they you know what i mean here's here's where i'm going to disagree on that because i feel like we are talking about the existence of this footage at two two very different points. You're talking about this footage as if it has been collected by the U.S. government and it has been pre-edited and then like released in theaters or something like I mean, that. No, not released in theaters. But no, 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 yeah. no. Or it has already been pre-edited. Like this is hasn't it? I mean, I... no, it hasn't. It's the reason why it exists in the form that it does, and the reason why like it cuts between. I mean, I know it hasn't been edited because we are seeing the tape from the start to finish. I guess that's my but. No, like the reason why the 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 film is able to cut back and forth between like when uh, the the main guy was with his with his oh, sort of because... sort of paramour because. HUD right. like recorded mm-hmm. over that actual footage and there right. were so many glitches over the fact of them like recording that they were able to cut back and forth between that. I thought that was actually a really interesting like intertextual like reasoning behind that. But the reason why the party is at the beginning, the reason why the Ferris wheel as is at the is at the end. The reason why there's even those like th- those those little scenes that actually like preclude to that include to what their relationship was or why it culminated in the way that it did is because literally they have just gotten this fucking footage from the crater of this fucking blast, and they are combing through it for all that they can. They're not going to just like, oh, like this doesn't, this doesn't matter right now. I don't really give a fuck about this party. Oh, they no. don't See, know anything about this creature. I was gonna say it's not like it, they've just found like someone's comb or something like that. Like they have a piece of the puzzle of finding out exactly about the monster. Exactly, and you're going to start like cutting, like if you've got a piece of a puzzle you're going to start cutting around like the a little indentation so okay. it actually fits if, into if, your conception if, of what if, it if, is. If, if I half agree with you. All I'm saying is I just think that it called a little too much attention to itself as right. an artifact. Like, like Let's just back up just a second yeah. um, and, and talk about a film that we saw at Sundance, Nick, which was Christine about Christine yeah. Chubbuck. And now uh, in, the, in the other film uh, about the same character person uh, which is Kate plays Christine which is a documentary uh, which is a documentary uh, she goes to the house of somebody who uh, worked at the station while Christine Chubbuck was actually working there and they tell her that, that they believe that the one existing tape 
uh, of her committing suicide on air exists still somewhere and someone has it locked up in a vault or whatever and, it, and it's just there like I guess I'm kind of agreeing a little bit with what Toussaint is saying about why haven't they doctored it? Because it's not like someone's going through that tape and, and fucking with it and saying, well, I'm going to cut this part out. Like, like you want to have the events exactly as they transpired on this actual tape. Like you eat, like they wouldn't go in and say, well, look, he didn't show up here. (laughs) Exactly. You don't know. You don't need to convince me of either of those points because I like, like, I guess maybe I'll backtrack and say, like, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, Maybe a better way to articulate what I really meant is that I think it's lazy because of the fact that I think the for them the buck stopped there as to like how to actually I would say use found footage to like because for me it just feels like uh, somebody can do that with iMovie uh, special effects titles secret you know where you just put bumpers on and then be like but so this is a government like I don't know there's just something about it that I feel like is so half-assed okay mm-hmm. that. That just I, – I wish there was more – like it, it sets up a movie that I don't think I actually saw, which I thought it would have been cool had there been other like – I mean not that I need to see a sequel or something like that. But if part of the alternate reality game – let's just – let's put this out. So correct me if, if this does exist, mm-hmm. where that we saw other – of these files, so to speak. Like that would be a completely different story. But this feels like this is – in some ways, the definitive file, and now I know it's supposed to be a random one because that just is, but there's just something about it that just all, it just feels so slapped on. To, to use a to use a an academic analogy because like all of us have gone to school together. It's like when you're researching for a paper, there are primary texts and there are secondary texts, and so like I see Cloverfield as the primary text, while all those other things are the secondary texts. Like, the primary text is the thing that is being studied. The secondary texts are the ones that are actually, in part, studying that primary text, that add context, that add add, add meaning to that text. Whereas, like, the, the primary text itself is just, like, it exists on its own, and we're meant to just, like, parse through it and, and struggle with it as, as best we can. That makes a lot of sense. So then I guess I'll also say that to that end, I feel like this movie is torn between trying to tell what we want as a narrative story with characters that have arcs or whatever, and being that primary text of a government-found random tape. Like, things become too convenient for my liking as to how this story progresses. If this is really supposed to exist as this random, uh, randomly found primary text. Yeah, and I mean... That, that's all just, I'm saying is that I feel like it's yeah, torn between those it, two it things. Just, it just, for me... It, like it's it's just something that works really well for what what the the way the story is being told for me personally because I don't I haven't any had any involvement or didn't even actually have any knowledge really of of the game you're talking about Toussaint beforehand but I still really do like the Cloverfield yeah. film uh, at, at the same point though the the found footage sort of um, w- the, the decision to use found footage as the way that this film is going to play out I feel like works better as moving throughout the story in the, in, in a, in, instead of just watching a film about a monster in, in, in like a film like Godzilla is. Like, right. I feel like I, but, I, I like it more because it has that found footage aspect, even if 
the found footage sort of aura around it doesn't completely work for me. Because at the end of the day, it is a movie. Like, yes, it is a little odd that the one place where they have the one camera that is filming this entire thing happens to be where the Statue of Liberty head ends and happens <laughs> to be on the bridge at the time that the bridge gets collapsed. Like, How it's still a, convenient! It's, it's still a film. Right, so, and I agree. And they actually face off with the monster itself. How convenient! Yeah. Here, here's what I'll say before we move on I would say probably back to the film at large <laughs> um, but about the found footage aspect is that there were times in this movie when for a brief second I would say okay you know what this is actually use, utilizing the found footage uh, uh, aspect very well and there's no other way this movie could get told and then I kind of snap out of that dream because then I say no wait the only thing I'm responding to is the one take, you know, is that visual aesthetic that we can do outside of found footage. So if it was all made in a single take, man. Isn't it great? Isn't, but, isn't that like cinema verite? I'm not talking it has to be a single take like uh, Birdman or something or Victoria, uh, an independent movie from last year. I'm talking like something like Children of Men where it, it lets Lubezki, <laughs> lets the sequences breathe, but then cuts, you know, and it, he even did in The Revenant and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, and I realized that that was the only part of the found footage aspect that worked. Therefore, it is not a found footage uh, inherent quality uh, that, that is only exclusive to that genre. And that's why if I took that out of it and I say that that's not a, the, a found footage exclusive, does any of the other found footage part work for me? And for me, it doesn't. So I'm, I'm left with why is this found footage other than marketing and an alternate reality and, and to, to get people talking and it never once justified itself for existing in the way that it does for me. I, I'm going to have to go back to my, my previous point that I feel like the marketing and the, the actual film itself exists within the same body and yet are separate from one another. And I actually do want to like parse out because, Alex, you've never been a part of like the Cloverfield original marketing back in like 2007, 2008. I mean I – Let's put it this way. I was aware of it, but yeah. I didn't get involved with it at exactly. all. Exactly. And it was this huge like spider web of like different sorts of MySpace accounts. Remember MySpace accounts? Oh, like I you, remember. Like you would have MySpace accounts. Tom was my best friend. Aw. Um, you have he MySpace accounts for all, <laughs> for all of the principal characters and have like their – like discussions about what they were doing, like he, like the main character going to a party tonight, going to a party tonight. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I was like, I'm really gonna miss my friend when he goes to Japan, and like his his other friend, like having a uh, the the main character having this like journal of like his thoughts, like leading up to his eventual like go- goodbye party, and like how he feels about all that sorts of stuff. Like I think that all that kind of like that extra. That extra expository like detail is really interesting in that it's. It's it's, and I'll agree with you on this. This Nick, I think that is both like one of its strongest in the moment strength. It's one of the strongest in the moment strengths, and yet it, it is it is a, it is it is its historical Achilles heel because all that stuff is dated because you can't go back to those artifacts and be able to retrieve them confidently because. As much as people want to like convince themselves, like this is the the contradiction of the internet, is like things exist both forever and are eternally f- ephemeral. They can be wiped out like that with a snap. It's why I won't like, or I've tried to, and I've gotten into it, whatever. But it's why I've never done a, a serious rewatch of Lost because 
part of what I loved about that show was every week going on to the fake Dharma Initiative website, mm-hmm. and I, I would be an idiot if I said that somehow that wasn't affecting my opinion of the show, even though the show is its own thing, mm-hmm. and it exists without those things, and, and, and but yet in tandem. So yeah. it, uh, is, it is accentuated by right. that. So I guess that's where my opinion is coming in, in the sense that like I, I, I wasn't into the Cloverfield alternate reality mm-hmm. game, and because it's now eight years removed, which, by the way, it's eight years, yeah. it's, it's eight, the second number in the lost famous sequence of numbers is eight. I think there's a connection there. But no, that's how these alternate reality games. Uh, so I'm just I'm just looking at Nick with like the biggest. Oh, that's that's. I'm sorry, but that's the, actually the, exactly how the conversations of Lost like basically happen. I, I know they are, and just was, like this oh. is one of the reasons that kind of like stalls my my resolve to actually start Lost. Yeah. So can, can we move on from yeah. from this aspect yeah. of the episode mm-hmm. and, and talk about another part of uh, the movie Cloverfield, which is actually the monster, which if you want to call it the clover or if you want to call it something else or if you don't want to call it anything, that's totally fine. The creature. Right. The creature, that's fine as well. Um, I call it the CGI. Yeah. So the, the, the creature in this film... Uh, is there is <laughs> that finally landed home for me? I was just like, oh, that's really stupid. Actually, that's really fucking clever. <laughs> Thanks, man. Sorry. Cool. <laughs> okay. I, I guess I missed that. I'm sorry. I I was making a joke that it's not uh, <laughs> right. I, I, no, I feel like I'm called on I, in I thought, class. No, no I, 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 like... I thought like you could like make a backronym about it. It's just like it's the the, the crustacean is like geo. Like... No, I wasn't making an acronym type I, thing. I was just making a joke that for me it wasn't a monster, and I never really got into I, it. I just it thought it was MD, funny. So. I, I thought it was funny because that's something that J.J. Abrams would do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please cool. continue. No, I, I was I was just going to say that, that there are. Uh, since there is so little that we actually find out in the just just the film about the monster and sort of um, the the how it it all came to be the way that it is, we we don't see how it bursts out of the ground and starts breaking shit up. We don't see how the little parts of it fall off and why they do that. We we don't get really any explanation. We have. Also, too, fan theories out there about this film, just because we know so little about it. Fan theories that have also seemed to somehow become, I I don't want to say primary text, but like to become shorthand for what we take as factual information about this, uh, if that conversation earlier was any indication, because as someone who's barely interested in this movie, I'll just put that out there. Like, I, I'm baffled when I hear people talk about like this monster and A, give it a name, B, even talk about how it acts or mm-hmm. how it, when I genuinely don't understand a thing about this monster or I, the consistency between well, which, uh, uh, the, the various set pieces. You're missing the secondary text as well, like, to, to be fair, but also like I think that this is one of the the strengths of it actually being a a found footage film and it might have been like deliberate, especially like in conjunction with the marketing, is to kind of create this um context of participatory like definition of that film. Yeah, that uh, I, 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 uh, you don't have to agree with no, it, I but don't. like I think and that like if you whether or not you, you agree with it, I think that that was definitely an appeal like and really, it's more of like a, 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 for me, a question of like whether or not it succeeded in that right. Right. But, and we, but when I talk about there are fan theories out there, like about the endless fan theory of there being two monsters and not one, 
which you what, can either wasn't there. I, that's what I see. Did. See, that's the thing, though. Like, and that, that that's that is something that I absolutely love about this film is I feel like there is really no definitive answer to that. No, like, I'm asking for it. I'm not saying that I think because I'm just genuinely confused, and I don't think it's because I think it's ambiguous. I think it's because I just like I. Are the monster just so I like understand? Maybe just give me your answers, and that's all I'm asking. But like the the first, because like, aren't there different sections in this yeah, very I was, movie? I, I was going to say oh. I I feel like I am one of the people who actually subscribe to the theory that there are two monsters because at times it uh, does have a distinctly different look when you look at it in different ways. But that's where I'm actually kind of agreeing with what Toussaint was saying earlier about how you never truly see the monster up close because you're always seeing shadows of it. And mm. you, you never really get a definitive answer on anything in this film. It's all just stuff that, that randomly happens. And that's one more thing I wanted to get to really quickly about the monster before I let you guys talk a little more about it if you wanted to. Mm. But I, I, I love the decision that was made in this film that uh, talk, was talked about by... Matt Reeves and J.J. J. Abrams about in the Brooklyn Bridge scene, which again, I think is phenomenal. Um, the, the idea that they chose not to have the monster destroy the bridge because it, it, it knows about it, but just on a chance, it turns around and its tail rips the bridge in half. It doesn't I, know. I, it's, that's the thing. Like, it's not like Godzilla where it's going around and smashing shit. Like, it's just this monster that happens to be there and its soul purpose is to either eat people or to to do whatever from them it's not trying to destroy the world because it doesn't know what the world is unlike all some of these other monster movies that that live in this reality that the monster knows what humanity is it's just here to do what it's going to do it's more afraid than anything well yeah i mean that's but i I just love that part of it that it's tail just happens to whip by and rip the bridge in half because it's so cool going back to the uh the whole like the whole constellation of fan theories that kind of like sprung out of this 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 film, basically talking about like, are there two monsters? Like, are there three monsters? Like, are there four monsters? I right, don't know. I don't get why we're stopping at two because I I know because I just really quickly like I thought and maybe I need to get my eyes checked, which could very well be I've had cataracts. Is that <laughs> when every major segment that came with monsters, I genuinely thought I was looking at a completely different creature design. So mm. I'm, I'm confused as to why people are but thinking that. It's one monster. We, we only ever see one monster at a time, which is why, especially on a first viewing, you, 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 I feel like, are predisposed to not have an answer about it. Like, you think you're only seeing one thing because you're only seeing one thing at a time. It's not like there's eight monsters climbing out and, and climbing all over people and murdering buildings and doing that kind of shit. Like, you only ever see one monster at a time. Mm. So it's perfectly reasonable to think that there is only one monster and even if we don't want to think the name of the creature is the clover which is totally fine if you want to do that but there is and you could you could see why people would assume that with the name clover field however clover meaning one so there's one monster so it, is that what clover means yeah hmm uh, uh, anyway anyway um I, i'm i guess i've just said like it, I, I see why people would lead to the assumption that there is only one and why they would think there was only one. But I also obviously see why anyone would think there are multiple monsters my, because I, I do too. My personal reading is that there is only one monster. And again, going back to this this whole network of, of conspiracy theories that have kind of like sprung out about it, I think that that also reveals another dimension of the film that I think it works very well at 
and I'm 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 going to to throw this out there, and you guys are probably going to either like agree with it, or you're going to totally smack it down. Um, I'm not putting on my tin hat. I'm not putting my my, my tin foil hat when I say this, but I feel like this film really is the product of a post nine eleven world. I think that it really well, no, is that's absolutely. True. I, I think I think like I think it's the, the product of a post nine eleven world, and that it's pretty much talking about this place, New York, and it's talking about how. It's not focusing so much on the creature. The, the the creature doesn't the creature doesn't have as much screen time as the actual fucking humans who are like scampering and hiding in these fucking bodegas and like going through like these smoke choked like hallways and like seeing these monuments being destroyed and these people that they love being killed right next to them and stuff and they're basically like trying to like I think the film is is in a way kind of like emulating or trying to replicate the the existential like devastation of having to be within the actual radius of such a catastrophic event and I feel like even outside of the film in that way and how it depicts that but also like it's it's almost uncanny it's almost eerily uncanny how the whole like proliferance of conspiracy theories that spring out of that also kind of mirrors the, the, the conspiracy theories that spring out of a catastrophe like 9-11. Well, also, too, and we're talking about this now as people who have seen the movie multiple times and for about a film that's been out for eight years. Yeah. Eight. It's the second oh. number. <laughs> Holy shit. Eight. It's the magic number. But, uh, however, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about sort of stories that people – um, talked about that were involved in 9-11 that were actually there not yeah. watching it on TV being like oh shit look at that yeah. like people who were actually living in that catastrophic horrible moment yeah. like that kind of thing breathes like rumors and that kind of thing just like breathe heavily and this, this idea of did, there's two of them oh my god did you see it oh my god it, there's little parts of it there's yeah. like shit like that and uh, you know sort of rumors and it was holograms that, it was it was controlled explosions right yeah but but at the same time we have the actual footage of it here yeah so but but we can only go off of what the footage shows us which is that there is one monster but there's still this very much real possibility that there is more to the story than just what this one perspective shows us clover and, can't melt steel statues of liberty <laughs> Yeah, so I gotta say, um, I'm, I'm really glad that I think, not that some other podcast can't do it better than us, but that these three, myself included, minds are on the same podcast, because I genuinely think we are getting the three different, I would say, even though you, you both liked it, so I'm not saying as far as like opinion of the movie, but mm-hmm. as far I think we're getting three distinct reactions to like what you're seeing, because... <laughs> I instead of shall we say me seeing a movie in which I think the found footage aspect working with the uh, ambiguous nature of the creature consistency or design whatever I watch this movie and I I'm just confused and annoyed <laughs> and, and 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 a little and, seasick just because like it's moving around so much. Well, speaking of moving around so much, that's another reason why I think it shouldn't have been found footage. Because as much as I get that, like maybe it was part of budgetary reasons that it could help it. I don't know, but I don't know what the budget was. But um, like I don't buy in for this particular movie, which makes me a hypocrite if I defend another movie for doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But just what I can say is yeah. that. I don't buy into this particular movie using found footage as a crutch not to have to actually define 
what they're afraid of. Because guess what? If if you're T.J. Miller's character, you would have shined your camera straight on. Well, and, you're you're forgetting something very important about T.J. Miller's uh, character HUD. He's a dumbass. Well, that's very convenient to make. That's what I'm trying to say is that even he's if you're a, a dumbass, here's dumb the ass. thing: if you're a dumbass, that that's even more reason why you would shoot it because he's a dumbass and he would get caught up in the moment. And yeah. by the way, this film was made for twenty five million dollars. Well, that's not particularly low. I mean, no, but it's, it's not, not particularly high either. So. No, but um, and so I just uh, there's just I yeah, this movie just uh, it's, well, we, we have a whole other film to talk about, so true. I think we should get into our closing thoughts okay. about Cloverfield. Yeah. I mean, we've mentioned the, the major things about it, especially about uh, the, the importance of the pre-release promotion and also about fan theories and speculation and, and uh, found footage and all kinds of things that go on to it. So let's start with Tucson and go into our final thoughts about the movie Cloverfield. Yeah, I, I really enjoy Cloverfield as a film. I like just getting my rating out there just so I can talk more about it is like, I'd give it a three and a half out of five. Like I, I know that's not really untypical of me to give that. It's like, I think that shock it's, me, shock it's, me, a, shock? Wait a, it's a, it's a very I think strong it was a conspiracy theory here. Fuck <laughs> off. Anyway, I think that it's 3.5. It's, it's a very <laughs> three plus. <five. laughs> okay. It's true. Oh my, oh my God. fucking God. The dream, the dream is collapsing. Oh my God. The dream is collapsing. Um, I think that it's a very good film. I think that it's a very good found footage film. I think that it is an excellent case study of J.J. Um, Abrams' uh, abilities and shortcomings as a producer in how he uses um, extra expository like multimedia as a, sort of a, a secondary text to contextualize and basically tell a story through and around a film. And – yeah, I, uh, I I also thought it was pretty funny at some times too. So yeah, I would I would definitely plant my flag on the ground and say that I really liked it. Yeah, I am a fan of Cloverfield. I would give it a four out of a five. Actually, I, I think this is a quite an interesting film. Uh, science fiction is a is a genre that I obviously am interested in, but I wouldn't call it my staple genre either. Uh, but this this sort of genre playing with the found footage, science fiction, throwing in. Uh, a really weird age of people too, because you know in these kind of films we see a lot of younger people. Sometimes we see older people, but th- this this kind of middle middle of the road, you know, twenty five to thirty something age group is is something that doesn't get explored very often in any films. Uh, in, in terms of a group of people that are just hanging out and, and being together. And I, I like that we see that in this film, and I, I like that they are followed in here. And we have different types of characters, uh, even if they all happen to be white. <laughs> um, yep. We have uh, different types There's of... There's that one girl who's yeah not white. Yeah, I guess that's true. She doesn't did... really behave like a human being. I mean, she's <laughs> the only one that lives. She's That's the only true. one that gets away. Well, that so. we we think she does. We yeah. don't really know, but yeah. she's the one in the other helicopter that mm-hmm. doesn't get just grabbed by the monster, which is just so fucking awesome. Yeah. Just uh, like back smack back to the ground. Just because they're so excited, and then that fucking arm just comes flying. Fuck you! How high can that thing jump? By the way, holy shit! Like everybody, they were get high up! up there. It's time to slam now. That should be on the. Uh, it, it should be on the the Monstars team for the next Space Jam. I would totally watch that. Which one though? Which monster? Because there's you know multiple. Man, they could be the new monster team. Oh, so those Looney Tunes are fucked. Sorry. (laughs) I I I really do like so many different parts of this film, and in T.J. Miller, as I mentioned, that I liked him so much. 
I love his little quips in the film, even when they are totally trying to be funny. But like when they are with people looting in the electronics store and he says, hey, man, I think the store is closed. <laughs> Just, He's a dumbass. Yeah. yeah. No, but it, it, he's a dumbass who makes somewhat witty comments at the most unusual times, I yeah. think. So I, I, I'm just a fan of a lot of what this film is doing. And I, I love the monster design. I love the way that the movie moves throughout. And I, I, I love a film that can do what it wants to do in an hour and 20 minutes. Like, it's a film that tries to be concise. It doesn't have a two-and-a-half-hour Transformers bullshit that we just don't need. It starts, it ends, it shows you what it wants to show you, and it's over. And I, I just really like that about films that can do that. And I think this film does it really well. So I give Cloverfield a four out of five. Well, uh, <laughs> I think I'm about to give the most Nick Cheney answer oh. I've given on this uh, podcast. So let me take you back to a time. Oh, my God. The late 90s. <laughs> Maybe early 2000s. There was a show on TV called The Drew Carey Show. What became a yearly staple of this uh, sitcom was the What's Wrong episodes, where you would have an episode in which characters would either speak in different languages or be wearing unmatching shoes or people would mess up their lines or and you it was like a contest you got to follow along and it was just random gags on the outside of the actual text of the episode and you'd have to pay attention or whatever and like that's when you think about it that's like a really cool gimmick and it gets people talking i remember going to school the next day and because i was really young and nobody else watched multi-cam sitcoms at my age apparently i was really the only person talking about it but still if i had a water cooler man that would have been the topic <laughs> and uh it's the cloverfield is like that for me because what's more fun watching cloverfield or like talking about cloverfield like does mm-hmm. it actually ex- for me just like those ridiculous, stupid episodes of the Drew Carey show that if I were to, you know, rewatch now, I'd probably be like, this is stupid because, A, I can't go back to whatever that year was when it came out and actually relive the weird, living, breathing text that exists in front of me uh, now that that's the only thing that exists. Um, and I feel the same way about Cloverfield, which is that I think it's a entertaining gimmick but not a good piece of art. Like, it's just no compelling characters. Uh, the writing is laughably bad mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. And um, and I think J.J. Abrams, I think uh, I, I so often quote people on this podcast without actually remembering who said it. So whoever said it, I'll just say I didn't say it. But somebody called J.J. Abrams. Maybe it was David Ehrlich. Maybe. Hmm. Uh, somebody called J.J. Abrams the P.T. Barnum of this generation. I read that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because he is the person who... He's a ringleader. He's a ringleader, and he can get you to come see his show. But that doesn't mean that the show is automatically good. And I think that's the case here, because nothing, not, I wouldn't say nothing about this works, because it, it, it effectively tricks me into just going along with it. But it's the same way, like, when I play a video game and I'm bored in a cutscene and I can't skip it because I haven't seen it before. Like, I, I don't mind watching it, but I'm also wishing that I could either fast forward or at times whatever. Because it says a lot that this is an 80-minute movie practically, and I was checking my phone, like... Not checking it for, like, messages, but, like, the time uh, over and over. And so I I don't think that it ever justifies its found footage uh, gimmick ever. And 
all I ever hear from the from I would say people who do enjoy it, like people on this podcast, and I don't mean that it's wrong or anything, are things that I can't personally buy into, which is that well, you know, you need to either play the alternate reality game or like you would know that if you remember that this is like it, the the movie still has to work and it it absolutely doesn't for me. Okay. And uh, so, oh no, I'm just oh. saying okay, yeah, <laughs> and so it's. Uh, it's a two out of five because I, I can watch it and I could rewatch it, but um, it just is a failure. Okay. Okay. All right. So moving on, eight years. There's that eight again. Eight years. Speaking of, that's a good segue. I know. You. Because it was a Twilight Zone theme song. Oh, okay. And this is quite literally a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. The, the movie. Anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not literally, but I meant it's modeled after that kind of structure. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Anyway. So, <laughs> it's just a thing. I don't know. Moving on to the okay. Dan Trachenberg uh, film, which is 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, which stars John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, and John Gallagher Jr., uh, which uh, takes place uh, where. We really don't know when it takes place. It, Contemporary times. I was going to say, it appears to be present day, but we don't really know. Um, this film is about a uh, woman who gets in a car accident and is held in a shelter with two men who claim the outside world is affected by a widespread chemical attack. And I saved your life by bringing you here. And everyone outside of here is dead. What happened to your arm? Were you trying to escape? I was trying to get in. What was that? Quiet. How do you know that this is real? Something's coming. Ten Cloverfield Lane. So we start with Tucson when we talked about Cloverfield uh, in this episode. So let's start with Tucson again and talking about Ten Cloverfield Lane. Okay, so my general impressions about this film is that I think that I really do like this film. I think that it's a really interesting, like very concise, um, well tailored, like closed room horror thriller. I think that. When I was watching watching it for the first time, like I felt like I was watching something that was almost Hitchcockian, almost like it had a very much start in, in media res. I was trying to build like the context of why is this woman like taking all this stuff and stuffing it into a bag? Why is she so upset? What are those objects that are in the backgrounds? Like she's a is she a carpenter? Is she a tailor or something? Why is she crying on on on, on the phone? It's like why does she take her 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 suitcase and go through the uh, the door? It's like okay, what's it zooming into now? It's like oh, it looks like a wedding ring. It's like what the fuck is going on? It's like what happened? And then you see her just like driving through the the countryside, and I felt like this feels so much like Psycho. This really does remind me of like the beginning of Psycho uh, with uh, I think it's uh, Janet Leigh's uh, character who just like is trying to like escape and then ends up like going to the Bates Hotel, so to speak. And I feel like for me, like if I was to like summarize what I think this film is a, a combination of, it's a combination of Psycho meets uh, 
a, a contextual sheen of the War of the Worlds with a little splash of a film called Crawl Space, which basically, if you have never heard of Crawl Space, it's a it's a classic horror film of like these people like living in a um, a hotel that is actually being proprietized by a uh, a former Nazi who has gone insane and decided to like leave death traps entirely throughout the entire like hotel and people people literally crawling through uh through uh um from air ducts being chased by this old Nazi guy who basically it's this really funny scene like you could actually see it in the trailer where he like slams the side of 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 one of the the, the air ducts and it actually like has one of those like rolly things that you use when you're a kid like in gym gym class and he just like rolls through the fucking air duct in order to chase after the person so yeah that's what this film kind of reminded me of i thought that um mary elizabeth weinstead's uh character of michelle was very interesting i really enjoyed her and i thought that more interesting than that was john goodman's character of howard and that i think that um he he is basically a a survivalist a a a a paranoid survivalist with a martyr complex because he feels like he saved all these people and just like why don't they why don't they appreciate him why can't they see how sensible of a guy he is he's such a nice guy why don't they like him he's such a, a he, he would probably be be a men's rights activist, really. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say he's the kind of guy who, after he murders the other male in the situation, then decides it's time to shave. Yeah. Uh, and I think that should tell you all you need to know about his that character. That was one of my favorite moments of the whole movie. Yeah. And, like, it just com- it just comes completely unannounced. And the fact that no you know nobody's commenting on it, just, it's so fucking creepy. Yeah. That's good. There's a lot of, like, very low-key creepy moments that kind of, like, clue into Goodman's like craft, his ability to be able to convey a character that is at the same time so reprehensible and yet so disarmingly just kind of like oh he's just kind of like this this doddering old man where like where you see um when it kind of like goes into like the whole uh, montage of like children behave, and he's just like dumping all of like the the puzzle pieces on there, and he's just being so delicate about how he like positions the top of the box there. He's like, oh, it's gotta to be, be fair. That's a be... real thing because whenever I used to take like for game uh, for even like board games or whatever, I was that person who would like try to get it to fit or whatever. And then I I was unlike him. I would just fucking knock it off the table because I'd be pissed off that they wouldn't make it better. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, but it's still really um, it, it really clues into how. At the same time, he, he has this 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 hair this threadbare like divide between bo- being both docile and accommodating, and just being this authoritarian just like monster. Hmm. So I thought that uh, was it just one monster or two monsters. <laughs> I don't know, man. You uh, tell me. Uh, uh, we um, like to have fun here. I thought that uh, the character of Emmett, he didn't really, like, leave that big of an impression on me. I thought that he is very much a necessary character in that he kind of, like, delivers a lot of the comedic beats that could not occur between Michelle and Howard at all. Um, I'll say this much, though, at least. Uh, not even in rebuttal, because I, I agree with you, Emmett, that's really his only purpose. But, uh-huh. um, like... John Goodman was already funny on his own because in a horrifying way, but mm. he's a, 
it's it's comedy without trying to be funny because yeah. and I like that's why he, his character for me actually does feel a little uh, excessive. Not John Goodman, but uh, John Gallagher Jr.'s character of Emmett because we already kind of have a darkly funny movie. So now we just have some kind of we just he's only there so that the audience has a respect. Uh, reprieve from John Goodman. It's he's there to move the needle, so to speak, from being a a sort of dark comedy into sort of like a mid like like thriller with like comedy like well, moments. His character really does serve two purposes because, like I just mentioned about John Goodman now shaving his face and 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 he can now present himself to her. Uh, he. Mm. Yeah, like I feel like I would have had a hard time watching this film and not thinking that he had just captured her and John Goodman, I'm talking about Howard, had just captured her and was holding her to eventual buttering her up to something. But we have the other character uh, of, of Emmett there and it, it kind of as an audience member takes you out of that mindset, I feel like. And I, I think that that is, was good because that was not what the, the purpose of the film was not trying to be that he was trying to eventually lead her up to be his prey that he was going to do this. The, the part of the, you know, the point of the film for me, at least in the, the bunker aspect of it was trying to show uh, the characters in much different parts of this situation. Like they they are all in different mindsets. Emmett was kind of supposed to be like the representation of, that John Goodman possibly is a good guy, so to speak. Yeah, he let this guy in who previously had helped him like make this shelter. Right. But really, I th- I feel like, in my opinion, his existence serves like the part of being both the com- comedic relief and hey, the second act's done, so to speak. Like when he died, right? Like, we need we need something to happen, but it can't happen to uh, yeah. Michelle. You, so you got to speak, have right? another person there for something to happen so the second act can actually like move right. into effect. Right. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that uh, Beer McCreary's uh, score is phenomenal in this film. I, I really enjoyed it. And I don't know if we're going to be unpacking the ending right now. I'm sure we will be. Okay. Oh, oh, you mean just like talking about it? Yeah. Just, I feel like we should probably wait on the let's ending. Let's wait on that. Yeah. Not because we don't want to spoil it, but because that's so tied up into, I think, another conversation that we'll have a <laughs> yeah. little bit okay. later. I think so, cool. yeah. But yeah. I, that's just my opinion. But, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's my. those are my initial impressions. I really... I actually really enjoyed this film. So, okay, yeah. cool. So I, I I don't do this often, but I'm gonna just go ahead and put it out there. I thought this movie was awful. I was not a fan whatsoever, and I just I have to say that I was not on board really from the first moment. I n- nothing about this movie really worked for me, and I, I think the the problem was is that I was. I was sort of giving it the benefit of the doubt because I wanted it to. I wanted the ending to work for me, and it just didn't end up doing that. So, when the, you know, the sum of all its parts did not add up to anything. And I, and I would have been willing to like some parts earlier in the film that I thought were just kind of you know boring or whatever if they were leading to something that truly captivated me, which this film wasn't able to do. Uh, I, I thought John Goodman's portrayal of Howard was actually really well done. I mean, I feel like he was the perfect person for this character, both because he has that just very bizarre ability to be both inviting and at the same time horrifying. And I feel like he pulls that off really well here because 
he does feel like at points in this film, someone you can trust. Even even when at the height of um, Michelle's character being able to trust him, when she hears a noise outside, like she gets up and like kind of jumps away and like screams for him for his help because he is the person who is leading this charge uh, of, of of this moment. So his his character is very, I think, layered in in this movie, and I think he John Goodman plays it really well. To disagree with what Toussaint's saying, I thought Mary Elizabeth Weinstead's performance, even though her performance wasn't necessarily bad, I thought her character was very weak as a leading character in this film. I I just had no real reason to get that interested in her because, yeah, there were the, the moments about not really knowing what was happening with her character. We know that she's left some guy named Ben. Who is played by Bradley Cooper. Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's voiced by Bradley Cooper. She leaves her engagement ring behind. Great performance, by the way. <laughs> good, good, good on you. Cooper. Totally that making, was a good phone call, man. Was, totally making up for that Aloha bullshit. Uh, and Hangover 2, 3. He, he's, he's working on it, man. He's, he's trying. And that, that one movie with Jennifer Lawrence. That Damn, apparently can awful. a guy live? Well, he, he, that, that, and the one I'm referring to supposedly is actually like a terrible pile of shit. Oh, you mean I'm that? Sure. I know what you're talking about, yeah. uh, but I forget what it I is. I kind of have to look it up now. But, yes, it, it was not good. Uh, but getting, getting like off Serena? of... Serena? Yes, that's yeah. it. Way to go. Didn't even need my phone. Way to go, <laughs> You just man. need me. I guess so. Aww. Encyclopedia over here. Getting back to this actual movie, I, I was not that impressed with Mary Elizabeth Weinstead's character. I just, just wasn't able to get into it. I just feel like that's the essence of this movie for me is wasn't able to get into it. I had I had no dog in the fight and no interest in the... F- Ow. <laughs> the more this film went on, the less interested I was. And then we get to the ending, which, again, was just a colossal disappointment for me. So... I have more thoughts on it. Obviously, when we talk more about the uh, about both of these movies we've had on this episode together, and about the ending, I'll have more thoughts. But yeah, not a fan, um, and I just was quite disappointed with Ten Cloverfield Lane. Well, uh, I gotta say, I saw the trailer when it premiered, and I ate it up. I, I really like that trailer. Like, whatever I think about the film, I feel like that's just a great yeah, I mean, trailer. This this is right in your wheelhouse about the yes. single setting environment, right? And like, you're yeah, you're selling me a movie that's like that, not just single setting, but uh, like I kind of alluded to earlier, um, this is at least the general premise of the movie, which is. Uh, possible crazy person abducts another uh, not another crazy person she's crazy to leave her her husband (laughs) possible crazy person abducts sane person uh, but because of a loss of consciousness we have to figure out whether and so does she whether the person is telling the truth or not uh, and whatnot like that and all set within the confines of a a bunker uh, that is an essential Actually, what the Twilight Zone was. I mean, like every five episodes, there was something about a bunker, and, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm not even kidding. Um, but I love that show, and I love it for that reason. Hey, I was going to say it's it's almost like any folklore from Germany. There's always a mountain. There's always a bunker. <laughs> yeah. there, no, seriously, though, I just because I want to back this up. Twilight Zone. There was an episode where um, they were locked in the bunker, and the whole neighborhood was trying to get in. There's an episode where uh, a guy goes to the people that he <laughs> kind of like hated because like. Or not hated, but that 
they he basically says that he there, there's the doomsday is coming and he has a bunker and he wants them to essentially beg him to let him in because uh, he they think that he wronged him at one point and there's a few other ones about bunkers like hmm. that was a very prevalent theme but hey man Rod Serling had to like get those scripts in right. every single goddamn week right and the and the thing is that show was great and it was great because of that because he was able to take these claustrophobic settings and tell I would say simple tales about humanity and how we react uh, when we are faced with, uh, I would say, larger-than-life uh, cr- crazy shit. And, um, and in fact, uh, one thing I'll, I'll probably bring up one particular Bunker episode from that show later on when we talk about the ending, because I'll say this much about not about the ending to this movie, but one of my favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone is, I think it's called The Bunker, but maybe it's called something else, uh, but it's the one where they're all trying to get in when the guy has locked his family in there and he won't let anybody else in. There is no twist in that episode. It is quite literally just them trying to get in and he, him saying why he can't let them in, and then when it's finally time to walk out of the bunker, like it's just a lot of people kind of sighing and looking around the room, and that was essentially the twist of that just <laughs> they realized what they had become in the face of this possible situation. Hmm. Um, the, so maybe I will say it's media like that, and like other, I would say, one-room setting uh, uh, pieces of fiction that kind of made me think that this was going to be something different than what it was. Um, I, I'll say right now that there are moments in this movie I absolutely loved. I loved everything pretty much John Goodman did. I think mm-hmm. I thought he was fantastic. Not just the perfect person for this role, but like he brought something that just made this movie endlessly watchable. Uh, I agree with Alex in that I think Mary Elizabeth Weinstead's character is extremely hollow. Um, she kind of is only defined by what I call the Ripley syndrome, which is that she is resourceful and and and, and I'm not gonna uh, call her like a Mary Sue or some bullshit like that. You're not gonna like be that like, aspect. You're not gonna be like Max Max Landis and just call her a Mary Sue. No, and, and that's what I'm trying to say. I like that part of her character, but I think that was like her only definition. And I don't know that her one monologue about the time she saw somebody at a grocery store that fell flat for me because I was like, okay, that's supposed to like, like explain like why she ran away because she always runs away for, from things when they get tough. I'm right, like, okay. but it explains nothing because we still, or not even still, but before that we didn't have a character to actually project that on. It, you know, it didn't color our, uh, I would say, appreciation of what was written, and it didn't add anything to it either. I feel like kind of what you're saying. She does have a almost overly simplistic plot or overly simplistic arc that. Especially, and I know we're not talking about the ending, but the actual final image of the film is just like, it's like, like hammering you in the head, being like, right. "Look, it, a fork in the road." Right. It's it's <laughs> literally a movie screaming, "This character has emotions and a backstory," <laughs> without actually developing any of those. Yeah. in my opinion. Um, and uh, but one thing I'll say to the movie's credit, and I think I'm, that's going to be the my big thing in this segment of our big episode here but for this movie i'm going to keep going back and forth because i like this and i didn't like this and i whatever uh one thing i did like was i genuinely did like um unless i read it wrong uh that there was like you could change the gender of michelle and it could still be the same story if you just changed the gender of john goodman's child like it there was nothing inherent i think sexual about about her being a woman, and I like that a lot. Like it didn't. Play- yeah, I, I, 
I, I guess just from that one part I'm talking about, I'll slightly disagree with you where he all of a sudden dresses up nicely for her at the end of the film and shaves his face after he clears out Emmett. Uh, I, I, I feel clears like, out. Well, I feel like that would have had to have been slightly different if, if there was a – unless he – I just – I mean – I mean, I think it plays that way because there is a woman in the story, but it's not necessarily written because she's a woman. Like, I think it's just uh, – Okay. Because – I just, I totally did not get the idea that John Goodman is even interested in sex whatsoever. Um, and so that's why that moment plays even creepy because I don't even understand exactly. <laughs> no, like, in a, yeah. in a good way. Like, because just like a lot of John Goodman's thought processes, I, I think you guys can agree. We cannot always make the leaps that he makes and not just with like building the doomsday bunker but like when we see him play a very simple game and and just like he can't do it with us because he can't come up with the fact that she's a woman which i think also points to the idea a little, that little, he doesn't sexualize princess I, I think that was actually my favorite part of the entire film like that was that was both a part that was doing comedy tension and character development in one instance without shortchanging either that of scared the shit out of me it, the fact that he wasn't able to make that connection that says was, a lot about it him. was yeah. so awkward and then he's almost like giggling at the end like ha, oh woman yeah i would have never thought of that right. and <laughs> yeah, here's, here's the thing the other thing is for me at least for him shaving because i think it also ties back to another moment which is when emmett touches her um the uh, the 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 elbow because she's about to fall and he goes and he yells no touching i still once again think that it all ties back into the daddy daughter image which is that so i think when emmett's finally out of the picture it actually finally can manifest into what it was always supposed to be and therefore he his doomsday beard is gone and he's back to being daddy you know what i mean because i'm Mm. guessing if we look back at that picture that the snapshot that falls out he's shaved in that you know like it's just now he can finally give in to that charade however i will say though that i feel like it is slightly ambiguous that it's not necessarily painted one way or the other if it's ambiguous before and then i'll pass it right off if it's ambiguous it's only because of the fact that once again society has said that men and women can't be anything but sexual toward each other Uh, it's it's not even that they can't be sexual i just think these sort of cannot be cannot be sexual i think still you go from the, the the moment where john goodman seems annoyed that he has um Emmett's to deal with. Emmett lives on a shelf, basically, where she has her own room. And I get that it's because she is the image of his, his daughter and, and whatnot. However, I feel like it's it's just so hard for me not to just take that weird moment of him opening the door and having the shaved face with his nice clothes on now that I'm just like, man, that is that is fucking creepy. E- either way, it, even if the way that you were talking about it, and, and that actually does make a lot more sense, but I, I don't think that there's a definitive way to say that, but it's just me. Um, this is actually a lot more articulate of an exchange like regarding that whole like no-touching comment because like as soon as I actually heard that, like I, Arrested thought, development. I thought of Arrested Development. It's like, yes. no touching! I thought it was funny. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess to finish my general thoughts mm-hmm. before we just kind of go out into the wild. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there are things I liked about this movie, and not just like, but love. And there are things that I quite despised about this movie. <laughs> and I, and my problem with the movie in general, and I think that's the thing, is that I do have a major problem, is that this movie um, 
take something that I love. So maybe that's why and everybody brings biases into their reaction. Mm-hmm. So take this for whatever it's worth, which is probably nothing. But like it took something that I love and then it basically uh, disregarded it for something that I'm not too keen on. and Defanged it. Yeah, and not only that, but then let's just also really quickly before we get to the real meat of the conversation, um, it, it it's one to two to three twists too many in this movie, and hmm. because it for me it doesn't every choice this movie makes after I would say about the halfway point only dilutes whatever choices came before uh, as to our. Our, our reaction to the movie as an audience member, as to um, the message the movie might be trying to say, and as to the experience of like whether this situation is any tense anymore. Um, it just it, it needed for me to actually stick to something, and I feel like the reason it felt like it didn't feel like uh, twist and turn. It felt like it kept jumping ship, so it didn't have to actually. Uh, wrap anything up in a cohesive manner. Okay, unpack that. The 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 dilution of like an audience's experiences of like their inferences of that film. Like, so can you, like, so I guess to explain it maybe a little more in detail. So very major spoilers coming up now. Yeah. Uh, not that we haven't really spoiled, but okay. So we we have a central question at the heart of this movie when it starts, which is. Is John Goodman a crazy person? And that kind of manifests itself into multiple, I would say, sub-questions, which is, you know, did he um, – is is the um, apocalypse, whatever you want to call it, is it actually real or is he just saying it? Um, did he somehow abduct her or did he save her? You know, like it, that spreads itself into all those. Okay, those are – enough for a tv series let alone a movie and then we keep i would say sidestepping those to get to more and like we just always go to the next level instead of looking back so after that initial tension uh then we're like um we we've i don't know how to okay we find out that Every possible reality of this movie is true and for me that it that instead of being like interesting or mind-blowing or whatever it it just ended up being so ridiculously uh ineffective because of how loud that you know like if is it impossible that like two things could be simultaneously true and false not impossible but does it do the movie any favors no i don't think so i think that if anything it it does it just hurts both of those things. In the case of the question of, like, is John Goodman crazy? Yes, he is very crazy. It's like, did John Goodman save or abduct Michelle? My answer is yes. It was like, is John Goodman crazy? Wait, do you think he saved her? I. The question is, did John Goodman save or abduct Michelle? And my answer is yes. Yeah, you can save and abduct somebody at the same time in this specific instance. In because this... technically he did save her because she would be dead without it. However, he is also keeping her under lock and key. He he literally has her but he, he, has, guess... he has her chained to the wall when she right. wakes up. He's, he has her chained to the wall I... like black snake moan, okay? Um... But I guess that's where I, that's where I get confused because I've heard other people say the very same thing as far as like that those two things exist at the same time. Not that I say that they don't, but by the time the movie ends it it's it i don't know it, it both gives an answer that i think completely like rejects the other one even though it's still trying to say that that's true which is that no i don't think he saved her at all and i don't mean in the sense that because her life was worse off or something like that but because like 
I'm so confused. Was he going to do this no matter what with her? Because he clearly wanted her okay, so to be I, like I, a replacement I, for his I, daughter. I can I can reason why that is because I actually went to go see this film a second time and I actually know like when John Goodman's character is actually first introduced. It's as early as when she is at the actual like gas pump. Yeah, the car that's behind yeah. him. Like even before like, we know it's for sure him, I'm like, so that's John Goodman's character because we get to see his arm, but not who's in yeah, it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kinda... Exactly. It's like, and the whole question of like, you f- you find it incredulous that these these two things could could be true at the same time, and that it doesn't do it, like either one any favors. Like the the whole question of like. Again, it's like, did he abduct Michelle or Safer? Yes. Is he fucking crazy or is he right? Yes, because he is in part unintentionally vindicated by circumstance, by happenstance. But I don't think he's vindicated. And because... I, I, I think I think that I think that he he is vindicated through 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 happenstance because it turns out he just happened to be he was the broken clock that was that was yeah. right twice I, a day. He, right. he was. Um... I know this is maybe this is somewhat of a spoiler. I don't think so though. He's um what's her name from The Leftovers? Oh, the leader of the Guilty Remnant. What's her name? Come oh, uh, Patty. 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 Yeah. He he is Patty. He is the person who has been screaming about the apocalypse and then the like like if it, if it happens someone's going to be right. Yeah. Like someone right, who, right, right. Patty didn't know. She just she just happened to be But that doesn't mean he actually same. did save her though. It just means that he Dude. did well, something. He he, he, he Cuz that's what I don't he, understand. He, he physically saves her cuz she would have otherwise died if he had not brought her into his But in, right, in, right. in terms of like saving her in terms of wanting to keep her and save her from the apocalypse, he has much more personal goals can i ask a question with her yeah just to like okay. actually understand yes so, so my question just because i genuinely am confused as to what the movie's trying to convey about one specific point which is forget the apocalypse like just pretend it didn't happen mm-hmm. or we just don't even know whether it did or didn't was, was he going to do this regardless of the apocalypse he's done this before right exactly he's done this before is he a crazy man who like abducts like women and then grooms him into his surrogate family yes so now we cannot believe anything that he says about anything yes right right so was so he I, right though yes well, technically if you if you want to believe what he is saying is what he believes yeah but we don't actually know that he is right because once again whoa, i'm sorry yeah whoa. yeah um like uh like the very first movie i'm not gonna get into this because we'll get into that conversation but we i would say that the the final 20 minutes of this movie is weirdly, once again, uh, some people would call it ambiguous, I would call it lazy writing, um, as to what is happening in this situation, because why is all of a sudden, like, the, uh, why is she able to survive without her mask and whatnot? Like, it, we, what if, he, he very well could have been lying the whole time, like, that the woman that shows up, or the pig, like, first of all, he could have did that to the pigs, I think that's pretty, like, that that's a possible answer. Um and what about the, the the woman who comes? Like all she is is bloody or whatever. She could have been bitten by a creature and not actually, uh, you know, somehow doused in chemicals or whatever. I, I think that's a lot of like extrapolations out of something that I think was actually sort of causally explained in that like John Goodman's character of Howard was throwing a lot of lot of things at the wall and seeing which one would stick. Yeah. He said it was the Ruskies. He said it was like China. He said it was and and let's not worry about like the Martians and what they're gonna do and stuff. And then like when you hear that rumbling that that's overhead like sometime around the the beginning of the second act when they're actually sort of like gelling together as a unit. And then he starts just like 
kickstarting himself into just like talking about all these different theories and you see Emmett and uh and Michelle just kind of like looking to the side because they're really uncomfortable because it's just like this guy sounds fucking insane but at the same time like who's to say like if he's right or not and it's just like it's like I like he he said that um like I think that when the the people like died like from that that chemical attack that was just phase one now phase two is them just like combing through and just like going through like the leftovers kind of like us like here, here's my here, here's my reaction to the whole contention over whether or not this is lazy writing. If you think that this this that these two things existing simultaneously true kind of like negate one another, you said something very interesting, and in that you said that the premise of this film and that the questions that it posed could easily exist within the framework of a series. And here, and here's here's what. What my contention with that is like when you're when you're talking about the problems with this film and just like when you're talking about how when you learn more about these things as as you go on as like as you go from one revelation to a next you see how it kind of recontextualizes what you already knew and it kind of like negates what you knew before like isn't that fucking lost in its in fucking entirety? It is, but it had like episodes to actually, I would say, dive into so those really, ramifications. So, so really, this is more of like a. Uh, like more of a difference or 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 a uh, or preference of like format of whether you think that it would work better in the format of being like a, a television series or not. Right. I mean, I likened it to a Twilight Zone episode, but Rod Serling would be ashamed of the twists in this movie, and that says something because he loved twists. Like yeah. that, that. That's that's what I mean when I say it's, I think part of it is lady writing is because I think that. It doesn't make any grand statement about the uh, the universal nature of like uh, you know I don't know tandem truth or that things aren't just black and white. Does it's, it have because, to? I don't think that was no, the, no, no, the focus but, of it though. No, I don't think it was. But I'm saying if it doesn't do that, and it also I feel like on top of that, like so if that's not a reason why it does that, um, on top of that I feel like the 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 repeated twist on whatever only creates conf- not confusion but i would say you say recontextualize and i say it doesn't recontextualize because it just says okay so that that doesn't make me think that what happened before was completely different mostly because actually i'll say one thing um and there, here's one failure of the movie for me and this is just my own brain mm-hmm. but when i was watching it i will admit from the moment that she goes up to the top of the stairs and the woman comes on the window, from that moment on, I knew John Goodman wasn't crazy. Like, because I knew I was either two things was going to happen. A, he wasn't going to be crazy. And that, um, now I know in a sense he is crazy because he abducts her. And so I'm not talking about that aspect, but just the apocalypse aspect. From that moment on, when we see that woman uh, knocking on the glass, whatever. Banging your head against the glass. Yeah. Right. I'm like, okay, two things are going to happen. One, she, he's not going to be crazy, and you know she's really whatever. And therefore, unfortunately, that tension is dissipated for the rest of the movie for me because that's what I think this is going. Or B, it'll be revealed that he he is crazy, and there's going to be no fucking ex, uh, explanation or answer for why that scene was in the movie that would ever do it justice. So it followed the logical, I would say, route because it turned out that she is a product of whatever crazy shit that's completely undefined that's happening. But it also it, – it's so it, – well, it doesn't it, recontextualize it because it, I, I would say that we were already heading down this path. It, it, it does give her character 
a reason to build a suit that she could survive in a world where where there is poisonous gas and aliens and that kind of thing. Like, I feel like if she had just gotten out at that point and went out into the world or whatever, she would have been fucked. But now she can actually have time to prepare for her journey, which obviously in terms of just the narrative works and it also works on just a visual level. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I see what you're saying, though. Like, it, it kind I'm of, just talking about how that affected the tension on the movie. Well, I'm not it, saying it doesn't serve a purpose as far as to what yeah, she but it, thinks it, it, about the outside world. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is I feel like an accidental side effect of it is that from that moment on, I genuinely, and I and maybe I'm just, and I never really, I would say, get ahead of movies. I, I'm pretty dumb when it comes to a lot of major twists of a lot of major movies. And I genuinely also, I would say, I'm just like so prone to not guessing ahead because I'm just very dumb at it anyway, and I've proved that to myself. So it was just shocked me that from that moment on that I couldn't get into that aspect of that tension. Mm-hmm. And now there was more to the movie than that, and that's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's good because some of that tension worked, like I think him and the daughter um, – well, uh, him and the spiritual successors to his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that worked as a tension and as some character details. But here's that's the thing. I felt like I watched five different movies, and I liked two of them, and the other three movies kept interrupting those two. And I was like, <laughs> no, pipe down, children. These two are talking. <laughs> so, uh, all that being said, I think we've all gotten it out there, but I think we just need to jump right into the to the main event here. Of I'm Black not going Black. first on that one. I'm going to let you guys go first. Okay. Before you go, mm-hmm. I feel like I should just make the statement that I made uh, before this episode. And, and, and we're, we're just to be clear, we are going to eventually talk about the finale of this film, oh, yeah. and it, it will get involved in this. Yeah, yeah. But we're talking about yeah. the, I, I guess you would say, the connections or... Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. Depending on your of perspective. Of Cloverfield, the 2008 film, and 10 Cloverfield Lane. Right. We are going to talk about, right now, the, shall we say, the either, I would even call it the bridge, but uh, the relationship between the two movies. Okay? Mm-hmm. Let's call it that. Yeah. I'm going to go first because I don't have that much to say. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay? And, and it's also very blunt. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Thank you. But what I'm trying to say is that... It, no one is going to convince me it's connected, and nobody is going to convince me that it has nothing to do with it. And and at the end of the day, the things that I don't like about Ten Cloverfield Lane or like about Ten Cloverfield Lane have nothing to do with Cloverfield. And I one more thing, I I I will say this: I'm more of the mind that it does not bother me at all that this is called Ten Cloverfield Lane, uh, and that via J.J. Abrams, the word Cloverfield, and, let's say, extraterrestrial beings, that this movie, uh, it does not bother me at all that this movie evokes the, shall we say, existence of the first one to do what it does. That part does not bother me. Other things do, but that, so, as far as for my opinion, because I believe the two people in front of me have strong opinions about whether this does or does not, but this movie... Like, I could not give a shit about that. So, yeah, I'm going to moderate this debate. So, uh, Alex, I want you to go first, and I want you to dive in uh, as to whether or not this uh, hampers your opinion uh, of the this movie, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Well, l- let me just start off by saying this, first and foremost, is that even... Even though, if, if this was not called 10 Cloverfield Lane, if this had in, in would have just come out and had no sort of relation at all to the movie Cloverfield, I probably would not have cared for this film. Uh, I, I just, 
on its own, this movie still fails, in my opinion. That being said, um, I, I just, I, I, I feel like for me personally, um, it, it's it's just such a hard thing because I do know that there. I've only seen this movie once. There is probably more to it than I'm, I'm thinking. But man, I, I just wanted there to be to be something for me to not just think on a surface level after the first viewing that man. This was just a fucking marketing ploy to say, look, Cloverfield, the name Cloverfield's in the name of this film. So be interested in, hey, it might have some sort of connection to the film to it if you go see it. So why don't you go do that? So I, I go see the film and I, there are just so many parts of it that made me feel not even angry because I really don't care. But at the same time, oh, man, I was just like, fuck that bullshit. Like. The opening title sequence of this film, and Nick, you've given me shit about it, but I don't care because it, it, it just irked me just the way it started. If, if it's okay that there are no – if you if you are saying that, that, that it may be okay that there are no in-your-face connections between the movie Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane, they don't technically take place in the same universe. In my opinion, just saying in my opinion – Tucson or anyone else can disagree or, or or could prove me wrong because that's just what I'm going off of at this very moment. Um, you start off the film by by literally the first opening thing you get is the word Cloverfield for like no yes it is it like, is Clover, actually why well, yes. Cloverfield is the first name and then it like stretches out yes. and then it builds the, the, to the 10 first image you see first, the is, first image yeah. is her in the uh, of the of the uh, title of the sequence. Title sequence. Oh. Yes. The, the title sequence comes when she gets hit by the car. Dude, what happens in the title sequence? What happens? What? No, when she gets hit by the car and then right. it cuts to the credits, yeah. J, produced by J.J. Abrams, and it says, Cloverfield, what happens? Oh, okay. That's wait, what wait, we're talking wait. about. Okay, yeah. sorry. I got very confused. I just, yeah. So yes. that way, in case the listener might have had the same thought, you don't mean to say that the first thing you see in the movie is Cloverfield. You mean no. to say that before the, the, the you see the full sequence. title, you see Cloverfield. The the the, the right. word Cloverfield. Right. Before you see it, the full it's part title. of the title, right, right, you right. see Cloverfield. It just jams onto it and is there for a good two seconds, and then Ten Lane spawns out of that. Okay. That's okay. And okay. I, I I guess I just I am eager to hear what Tucson has to say because I, it's not that I'm not willing to accept other people's thoughts on this because I am, but just from taking it from my perspective of being a fan of the film Cloverfield. And, and being interested in teasing out some little parts of it that were some sort of any sort of connection to that film, even if it's not in the same universe, I, I just wanted that to happen. And I personally didn't have any of that. And I just was I was disappointed because I wanted there to be something for me to latch on to say, man, this is this this feels like this is the connection for me that, that this is bringing this to it. I just didn't have any of that. And. Opening the film with the word Cloverfield, the name Cloverfield, and then going to that, just it, it, for me, it's impossible not to think, oh shit, here is J.J. Abrams saying, look, I threw the name Cloverfield in there, and, and now it's there for you. It, it just, I don't know, it just, just for me, it just kind of pissed me off. Can so. I ask you a question uh -huh. before we go on? I just want to know, just because I'm listening to what you're having to say, what kind of connection was missing like are you talking just so i get it like are you talking characters referencing the first movie the vents or are we talking uh just what kind of i'm just curious what kind of connections i i just wanted something man for for me personally so like, you 
Like, like even I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what I wanted it to be, okay. but I wanted it to be not what this film was. Like from the, from from the minute go, I was kind of confused because I didn't I didn't I didn't know if this was going to take place in the same universe or not. And just me as as a person watching the film after the first five minutes, I teased out that it was not in the same universe as the original Cloverfield movie. They are many years later. They have iPhone sixes. Uh, they are in a world where the Cloverfield attack, or whatever you want to call it, has not did not happen. It did not take place. Technically, this could be in the same universe, but they could be different planets. Maybe it's like another Earth. So, Continue. anyways, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I was excited for this film uh, on the basis that I, I, I wanted the story between John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, and, and John Gallagher Jr. to be its own thing. But I also wanted there to be something in it that was going to intrigue me. And there was nothing there for me that either related this to the Cloverfield film or to the idea behind the Cloverfield film that it, it just for me it just wasn't there and I and I have to say coupled with the, me saying that I just didn't care for the, the rest of the movie it just for me just pissed me off so interesting I have some follow up questions that I'm going to put in my back pocket <laughs> uh, and because if it doesn't get addressed by the time we're done with this so Tucson can you please uh, expand on your thoughts okay on so the connective tissue between these two movies and uh, just subsequently. Does it matter? I think that, yes, it does matter. It does matter because I don't think that... I, I actually vehemently uh, disagree with the allegation by many moviegoers, um, also my fellow critic Alex, and Hi, Alex. and a lot, a lot of different reviews saying that the marketing for 10 Cloverfield Lane is misleading because if you actually paid attention to some of the marketing for it, J.J. Abrams and David Trentenberg actually did state that this is not technically like a Cloverfield 2, but rather it is a blood relative. And that is actually very important for why they actually justified what it actually is. Yeah, man. Khan's not in the film, so don't I worry am, about uh, it. I'm talking. Thanks. Um, <laughs> wow. I mean, I let, I let you... Sip it, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I, I do actually kind of really take offense at that because I, I feel like... Just Just jumping ahead, I think that 10 Cloverfield Lane is a far more ambitious film than its predecessor for one very real reason. And I'm going to go into why I'm, – I'm going to unpack, like, why people have this, this simultaneous, like, urge for it to be something that it, that it isn't and something that it is. Um, and that's why I'm just going to ask, like, a very simple question. What does Cloverfield mean? That's what I said in the car. Because, okay, actually, I, I want to not take over, but I want to say that I agree in the idea that there is no definition of, like, Cloverfield, the mo the first movie, did not somehow make a template for any other following movie to to follow. But I, there is actually a definition of what Cloverfield oh, means. So maybe I took that in a completely other well, no, direction, but continue. Here, here's the entire thing about Cloverfield. It exists. We're, we're talking about contradictions, how things, something could be true and false at the same time. And I think that really typifies like the, the speculative potential of what the Cloverfield universe of, of connected like, stories actually can be. In that I actually read about this in, in 2008. Like Matt Reeves actually did an interview with the LAist. And they asked him like, what was the origin behind the name Cloverfield? And they were writing the script – 
and apparently like there was another script that passed through their 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 eye or whatever and stuff right that talked about this evil corporation called Cloverdale or maybe it was a reference to a uh, a highway overpass that was somewhere in LA called Cloverdale and when when Drew Goddard or or JJ Abrams overheard it and they were trying to remember like a like a name in order to kind of like attach as a as a as a sort of like test title for the film they reinterpreted as Cloverfield instead of Cloverdale when they like, look back on it. Literally, the name Cloverfield means nothing. It is a malaprope. A malaprope is a word that somebody misheard and then just like capitulates in sort of this thing. It really is a name that is in search of an identity. It's a name that could be attached to so many different things, and I feel like that really plays into J.J. Abrams' wheelhouse of, as a producer and that he wants to have his cake and eat it too. Again, that is the whole crux of, of Cloverfield, having its cake and eating it too and seeing if it can actually do that. Can it actually be a big, a, a sort of like mock big budget American kaiju? There's so many contradictions that exist within that one sentence. Action, like, thriller that is actually filmed from a very intimate, like, close camera, like, perspective. Can you actually have a, a locked room horror thriller that actually exists within the context of this kind of, like, War of the Worlds menace that surrounds it? Really, it's like – and I'm, and I'm going to unpack this with the whole, like, analogy of J.J. J. Abrams talking about mystery boxes, okay? He had, this, he had this speech. He's got a fetish for those. I know, but that's the entire – that's him. That's 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 yeah. I know. I know. That's, I know. Like that's him. It's like he gave the speech at TED where he's talking about mystery boxes. How his his grandfather gave him this mystery box and how he never opened it because sometimes it's better to he's able to imagine whatever he wants it to be with inside it, even though it's probably like some crappy rinky dink toy or whatever. But to him, it's the entire. It's probably money, and he's an idiot. <laughs> and it, it's the entire crux of his appeal. I feel like for me, Clover, ten Cloverfield Lane is exiting out of one mystery box and entering into another. It's like you're in a mystery box housed inside of a mystery box and that like what the fuck was 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 John Goodman's character like like telling the truth or was he lying? Yes, and you're out of the box. And now you're in this other fucking world that you don't fucking understand and that we still don't fucking understand and then we're trying to like connect that into a relation with Cloverfield the film and on its own do I think that Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane exist within the same space no they are not the same universe they are only connected by one thing visually and that's that fucking slush of like like sign that exists at the um at the 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 um the uh, gas station because Slusho was the same company and, that was in Cloverfield. And also on, on the air filtration. The Taratuga company right. I'm just saying who, those are who other... are the people who actually like own Slusho. Like that's right. the yeah. only... Also doesn't... Sorry. Yeah. John so, Goodman has a comment, a comment about working with satellites and there was a satellite that fell in Cloverfield, right? That's... I mean, that's it, something that's... I, if, if, if you're looking no, 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 for... No, 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 no. That's... Here, here's what I'm, I'm trying to get at. I'm, I'm not... I'm not talking about these... Stop trying to connect these two things because they don't exist in the same universe. They're, you, they're connected by. Okay. They're connected. To be fair, just we were only going off the the, the, the tangent that yeah. you just started. So yeah. I don't think we are passionate about making those connections. Other than I was just trying to come up with a comprehensive short list of the only tangible connections between these two movies. They, right. they don't do. exist in the same universe. The only way that they exist is that I. Th- 
going back to my point, I think that 10 Cloverfield Lane is more ambitious in what it is trying to do than what Cloverfield was trying to do. Because Cloverfield, what was Cloverfield trying to do? It was trying to resuscitate a middling subgenre of major big budget American like monster films, okay? What is 10 Cloverfield's very nature? I, th- I think it's very telling about the name itself that we that we attach so much meaning to this name now, eight years after the fact of the, the last film. When when this film its marketing originally premiered, it did not have a name. All it We're had, ta- you're talking about Cloverfield. I'm talking about Cloverfield, yeah. yes. It was like it had one eighteen oh eight. All it had was the date when it was coming out. We didn't even know what the fucking name was. And I think that in that same way, when you see the trailer for 10 Cloverfield Lane, it's replicating that same mystery in that what the fuck is this – like you have Cloverfield where it's like what the fuck is this film? And then you have 10 Cloverfield Lane where it's like how the fuck does this actually tie into Cloverfield? Can I, can I just – before we get deeper into it, just on the very surface of it, can I, can I just retort just a, a little bit? In in this age of branding and 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 studios and I mean we're we're at a point now, especially with Marvel and with Disney. I get that. Where where they're slapping their name on every fucking thing. Yes, and at the same time too, uh, profit is the only thing that really matters. Can, can, I, I I just want I just want um, to to get your opinion on that. Okay. It, 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 it said you've, it's made you angry reading and hearing me talk about mm-hmm. that. That you, but at the same time, just on the surface, and if someone went to see Cloverfield and then saw Ten Cloverfield Lane, you did not know as much about it, it as you do. Can you at least see why they would have that opinion? I will concede to this. I am as sick of this this cross marketing bullshit that happens with films like that come out of Marvel, that come out of DC, where they have to slapdash everything. Next to everything, the, I feel like it is the the gross mainstream product of this whole like fetishization of like fan theories, where everything has to be within a collective universe, and so they figure it's like, well, all the all the the the, the moviegoers want it to be like that. Why don't we just like make it like that? So they'll actually go see the film, and then we'll just put in a little bit of teasers here and there, and then they'll just like they'll just eat it up like fucking gerbils over over pellets and shit. Well, I think that marketing and fan service both simultaneously exist. I think they do simultaneously exist, and I think that, yes, I have a contention for that, and I do think that I will concede, yes, that that is in part why it is named Cloverfield. But ultimately, I think the reason why it is named Cloverfield in that I think that 10 Cloverfield Lane is more ambitious than Cloverfield because that film was just trying to resuscitate a subgenre, whereas 10 Cloverfield Lane is nothing more no, nothing less than trying to stretch our definitions of what we think to of things to exist within a within a shared name within a shared space within a shared series really i think that the whole like twilight zone analogy that we've kind of like been dancing around actually plays into that i think that cloverfield is is jj abrams twilight zone i think he's trying to have his cake and eat it too i think that he right. is using cloverfield as a shorthand to explore whatever like Whatever idea, whatever whatever concept he wants within the entire realm of speculative fiction and is only held tenuously together by fucking Slusho and Teratuga. Well, and also, too, if you – I mean there are other obvious connections. But, I mean there are, there are large monsters in both films. Like that – like they, they, they at the end of the day end up being monster films. Not the same monster though. 
that is true, yeah. and that and obviously I would agree with that. However, they do end up being monster films, and and we end up at the at at right. a, I mean, even, even though it's a, it's a very different situation. They're they're monster films, but they're very different monster let, films. Yes. Let me just try to explain something really quick. I just, no, not. <laughs> why don't you both shut the fuck up? And let, no. <laughs> oh well, you're a great moderator. <laughs> no, but what, I want to I want to extrapolate on something that you just brought up, Tucson, in that I agree with what you're saying about the idea that this is J.J. Abrams' Twilight Zone. However, the thing that I think is create the thing that's being miscommunicated in that intention, I think, and why we're seeing a lot of people, I think, passionate on both sides, as I have right here with my two good friends, okay? Uh, oh, what? Uh, oh, I didn't know Aww. we were going to... I mean, I thought Aww. we were all touching we're gonna, hands. Aww. We're going to hold hands Aww. for the rest of the podcast. You, okay. Why are you so cold, Tucson? I'm sorry. Our energy is just... Aww. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Tucson, that this is... an. And in fact, let me back it up further. I know I said I had no real strong opinions on this, but I do have some thoughts. So mm-hmm. I feel like we've never seen this before. Um, never. And, and I'm excited about that idea, which is that that properties can support each other through, I would say, the the sheer, I don't know uh, what I want to say, maybe ingenuity of its inspirations. Yes. Um, and that one can kind of hoist the other up. And I, I wouldn't say give one another levity but create i don't want to say the word brand because i'm not talking about the marketing aspect mm-hmm. but be, create a i don't know almost like a real uh strive for creativity because we're living in a world <laughs> we are living in a society no <laughs> we're living in a world right now where like you guys brought up we're living in marvel and disney's sandbox and we're just choking on all that sand and we're we we have to have these movies connect to each other and the more they sound like each other the better because you know and J.J. Abrams, I think, sees that and is terrified by that just based on what he's doing with this particular project. How much do you think that you're going to have to see Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Galaxy, Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in order to be able to fucking understand Avengers, the Infinity the Infinity Wars Part One it and Part Two. It actually probably won't matter because it's just going to be so fucking convoluted at that point. Hey, guess probably. what? There's going to be thirty-two, thirty-something like heroes on screen. Some of them are going to show up. <laughs> but it's—I uh, will say this: we're, we're, what we're seeing right now is actually—it's uh, okay. I will say this: TV has always followed film, like obviously, literally, the mediums mm-hmm. themselves. But as far as trends and whatnot. This is the first time I think we are finally seeing film, I would say, become influenced by TV. Right now, one of the rising things on TV is anthology theories Mm -hmm. where they have the same name, but these are different stories from season to season. We're seeing it with True Detective. We're seeing it with all of uh, Ryan Murphy's current pet projects with horror story, crime stories. Fargo. Uh, Fargo. I will say that Fargo is bucking that trend because it is making it connected. And <laughs> that's part of the fun of Fargo because nobody else is. Um, but there are separate stories and whatnot. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but we're now finally getting that very essence of creative storytelling where we, I just – like I will go see the third <laughs> – Cloverfield movie, but that's only third in uh, 
I would say, sequence of release, not in any kind of chronology. And just to preface what I'm saying, I'm not saying that you can slapdash Cloverfield's name onto anything no. because I feel like there are similarities between – on a thematic level, in, a, in an inverse thematic level between Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane, whereas you have Cloverfield, which is this writ large like story that takes place pl- – takes place across the entire like uh, uh, island of Manhattan, and you're basically being menaced by this giant otherworldly force, whereas in, in 10 Cloverfield Lane, it takes place in a very intimate, closed system where you are being menaced by something that is very, very much down to earth and very much down to your level, very human, a very human kind of monster, a, a realer kind of monster, really. If anything... I mean, when, that's even the, the, the tagline yeah. of the film, right? Mo- About some of the monsters. Monsters come in many forms. Yeah. 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 And if anything, I, I think they're, they're more similar than people are going to give them credit for. And and with uh, because they're only going to be looking for the slushies of the uh, Cloverfield world. Because uh, what what I've liked about even if I don't really like either one of these movies. So it's weird that I'm I'm like I'm so on board for this idea. Even if I haven't found a movie in this universe that I really you, love. You might yet I'm, find a movie. Exactly. That's what's interesting. And, and that's what's interesting. But between just these two, we have the first one, like you said, trying to resuscitate a subgenre that was kind of on its last legs. That's so even, small compared to what this film is doing. True. But even if we take it like just – um, even a step further or lateral, I don't know. But um, that movie took found footage, the genre, and used, and I said, tried to tell a larger than life story with that kind of restriction. And once again, we're brought to another movie, completely different, I would say, in tone and in uh, a scope and whatever, but also tries to find another way to, I would say, sneak in another huge restriction that a lot of mainstream movie audiences don't normally go for. I mean, you know, people hate, you know, when movies like are a lot of talk and just the same room and, you know, that claustrophobic fee. So I like that both so far we've gotten these very stealth projects that uh, only seem like they could have existed if they were called Cloverfield. Like, that's why I don't mind it ultimately. And yet Cloverfield means nothing. Right. And so it's kind of like if, if Cloverfield, the, 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 the image of whatever Cloverfield is, has to take the the, the burden of that shit going to be thrown at it just so that it can uh, – you know, be, take many forms, and that's fine with me. I don't care what people hate it, but it, it's it's working for me even if I, I think both these movies have major problems. The heart of my frustration is just that I can see I, I can see the contention of, of, of why people are don't enjoy this film. There's there's for all the reasons that I enjoy it, there's lots of reasons that other people aren't going to enjoy it, and that and that's perfectly fine. But the whole argument of it, whether or not it's a chlorophyll film, if the marketing is misleading like it it hurts because i see the potential and i see the aspiration of what this thing is trying to go for and i feel like how many people are actually going to take notice and is this actually going to catch on i would like that to catch on because i think what it's doing is very fucking novel yeah and i got to say it's not even so much that the marketing is misleading because i don't think ever once in that trailer does it ever become an overt like this is the next Cloverfield movie. I know we we we're using like the alternate reality game, our outside knowledge and context to place meaning on something that I don't think that trailer uh, ever once tries to do, other than just 
evoking, like, you know. We do see one thing um, in, like, one of the latest trailers where it's uh, Michelle who's, like, standing outside of the barn house. And you see, like, the light that's, like, blooming from upside of it. And it just, like, cuts, like, to 10 Cloverfield Lane before we actually know what that actually is. Oh, man, they released a trailer that shows her outside the barn. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, just because, like, I just if you saw that, yeah. you would know that. And I and I that think that I I remember, um, like, right before like smash cut to the actual like credit in that trailer, like you could hear either like a cry that sounded either very similar to the Cloverfield monster, but I think was actually the cry of another creature like that was in the film. So, yeah. yeah, what were you gonna say? Yeah, I I, I guess I'm. You know, kind of listening to you guys talk about it, I'm I'm intrigued by the idea of what you're talking about. And uh, for me, though, I, I still personally just didn't really care for the execution of it because I. Why well, are we just so I understand? Are, are you saying the execution of the movie or the execution of this extension of whatever Cloverfield means to you? Yes. Um, yeah. What? Yes, there you go. Good, yeah. good, good answer, Tucson. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I still don't care for the movie really. At right, all. I just didn't know what you and, were referring and, to. At the and moment. in addition to that, I also really don't really care for what this was doing um, for this specific film. If if this were going to be a series that was more about, uh, you know, the Cloverfield is going to be sort of a stand-in for a, a name like. Um, the Twilight Zone or something like that, where it's just going to be a name that's there and it's going to tell these different stories that are um, about different things and have some sort of loose relation to each other, even if they're not connected in the same universe. Th- that's okay. But for me personally, you know, I went into this film um, really, as I've already mentioned, liking Cloverfield the film. But I will for- say earlier you did say that you were not liking this movie from the moment go so i get confused as to like what like what was it about the opening that somehow turned you off despite the fact because i, you I wanted just to didn't see think it. it was a good movie at all, at all. like well, I, you said from the word ghost i was just thinking that like like what i guess i always feel like that phrase mean like from the moment it starts yeah. so, so but you're saying you were excited for the prospect of i, I was but for, from i guess from the, the onset of this film beginning, I was not really on board, but I was willing to obviously keep going down the rabbit hole because I was hoping to eventually get something out of it that was going to pique my interest in again. And as I've already mentioned, bo- both things didn't happen. Like, not only was I not interested in where this film ended up, I also was slightly disappointed that there it's not even that I wanted there to be an overt like Marvel connection between the universes or anything like that. I just wanted something that was going to pique my interest into, into, to the realm of what this, this is of of this science fiction uh, sort of, it's not even a brand because because you're 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 right in in that, that it it should be thought of that. It's not a shared universe. It's a shared multiverse. Okay. So for for me personally though, I just I just didn't dig it. Like I, I didn't I didn't really like it. I, I, I That's okay. I, I wanted there to, to be more of a connection that I could grasp onto, even if it was a couple of small things that I would have really liked that sort of spoke to me a little more. And I I think 
that's part of the problem is that I also just thought this was a shit movie in, in general outside of the entire Cloverfield debate. We, ha- we haven't gotten to it yet, but the last 10 minutes of this movie Before was, we- a, was oh, yeah. a, I was just going to say, it was just a total ripoff of War of the Worlds for me. Like it just, it just felt like, yeah. oh, look, here's the exact – it looks almost – Almost exactly to me, like the exact same thing that happened in War of the Worlds, and she also fucking throws a fire into its mouth, just like Tom Cruise does in the War of the Worlds Before movie. Before we dissect that, I want to ask one follow-up question, okay. really quick, just because okay. yeah. I, I just and I'm not like trying to like probe or something, but mm-hmm. I'm just genuinely curious. That's fine. Um, would you say that your interests, let's say eight years later, oh my god, eight, <laughs> eight is the second number. <laughs> let's say eight years later. Uh, a movie comes out with produced by J.J. Abrams, yeah. directed by a new up-and-coming first-time feature film director, and it has Cloverfield in the title. Yeah, but it, I'll, I'll know what to expect now. If I, I see, let's let's put it that way. Like, if I know what this is going to be, I'll I'll, I'll know into it that I'm going to expect this to be a completely different film. Not not even that it's a completely different, but I. It, I, I'll know. But I'm saying once, like, but the op- the very, uh, you know, and I, I made a really stupid, uh, on purpose, comparison that this movie itself, though it's kind of just like that, an extension of the Cloverfield and how that factors in, is like Schrodinger's cat, the paradox, because it's not until you open the box that you can figure out which reality is actually going but, to... It's a mystery box. Right. But, but, yeah. but if this is... But I'm is... saying, now that we've opened the box, like you, you're, you're not comfortable with this movie's employment uh, no, of, I, I, of, of I, I, obscuring that. Right. I feel like I could like a future Cloverfield movie. If there was another right. Cloverfield... this movie. Yeah, I, I'm never going to like this movie. But just... I'm saying, are you no longer... Are you Just so I understand, are you still dissatisfied with the fact that this movie did not... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... so like we've discussed earlier in this podcast, two realities exist, which is that you are up because I'm just trying to just so that way I keep you are upset that this movie did not connect more to the first movie, but at the I, same I, time, I, um, I, oh. I, I will say this: I, I'm I'm not upset that it didn't connect more, but I I do feel like there is ah oh man, like I I I see what Tucson is saying, and I'm. I'm on board with what you were talking about, man. But at the same time, living in the world that we live in now, just jumping straight in and just naming this film 10 Cloverfield Lane. I know it's audacious. It's really, it, it, it's, it's so like when, like, I, I think that JJ Abrams actually gave an interview to uh Rolling Stone. He's like, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. I don't know if I'd have no idea if this is actually going to work. But, but at the, at the same time, like, I just feel like it's, it's kind of twofold now, like for me, like I'm, I'm totally on board with what you're saying actually. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like going forward, I know what this, this is that, that, that if you see a film with the name Cloverfield in it, it's going to be a, a different story that is, it is trying to do something in, involving that it's nothing. It's going to be a science fiction film. That's all you're really going to know about it. Probably going into it with something that kind of deals with kind of like the human nature as it relates to monsters yeah. and other stuff like that. However, I'm I'm never again probably going to think it has any relation to to outside of it. And I, I guess maybe that that is uh, kind of kind of with my assholeish smirky comment about the whole con thing. That 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 whole history of his career 
has hurt J.J. Abrams for me in, in this mm, light yeah. because I have expected there them to just be lying the whole time and have some sort of deeper connection between Where's the, the two twist? films. Well, and it's, what's funny is that this is like J.J. Abrams is no is by no means perfect or anything like that. And what's funny is that we're in a situation where he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't because we, we just came off of a series of movies that I say directors made the worst possible choice in covering up whether there is a connective tissue, we saw Ridley Scott do it with Prometheus and yes. say that the end of it was not alien. We saw what's his name do was it J.J. J. Abrams do it for Khan? But uh, it was uh it was your was it, it, it was J. J. the J. it was the writer for uh um Into for, for left the leftovers. Damon Lindelof. Yeah, yes. Damon Lindelof. So we saw yeah. Damon Lindelof uh, do the same thing. We say it's not con- whatever. So and there's even a third example that I'm not remembering now. But the, the, I want to say the best. Yeah, and but we're we're being faced with these like, shall we say, overt misleading. So now I think as a reaction to that, we are being misled by the fact that we expect to be misled, mm-hmm. and I think. Ultimately, J.J. Abrams did nothing wrong here. And, and I'm not saying you think that J.J. Abrams did nothing wrong. <laughs> I did not have sex with that one. <laughs> anyway, um, but I, I feel like he not only did nothing wrong here, but unfortunately, the, the assholes of the past have created a cynical environment in which we were not ready for this, <laughs> so to speak. And that, that hurts me a little bit. And I, I'll say this much. This is... And once again, I didn't even really love this movie. But and you don't have to. I, I like wheeling, wheeling back a l- little bit more because we are kind of tangentializing. Because like Alex was talking about the ending, I'll agree with you on this. I think the ending is actually kind of fucking stupid. I thought that it was. <laughs> I thought that it was cool at first, and then like it kind of like went to this whole thing. I was like, okay, I can either go to this town or go to this town. And then it well, kind that, of like, the, the actual ending that was horrible. Right, he's yeah, talking but, about the. But then when it, it makes oh, yeah. it makes that turn, I was just like, oh my god. A continuation of this would just be fucking Battle Los Angeles again, and I fucking hated that film with all the core of my being. Yeah, um, really quickly to I think maybe to bring the sub discussion of <laughs> the connective tissue between these two movies to a close. Uh, my feelings about my reaction to this movie is I want to assume because I did not have this reaction to this particular movie, but I feel like I finally understand what it was like to be a Marvel fanboy and watch the end credit stinger to Iron Man, and when. Uh, Iron Man, right? Isn't that when we see? Yeah, that's when we first saw like Nick the Fury and possibly the Shield, right? Oh, it, it, yeah, okay. There was the implication of Shield throughout the film, and then we actually saw Nick Fury, right? But and it was, was just an Easter egg, right? Right, but yeah. it was the so-called announcement of things to come. The so implication, the, right? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm thinking of uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which has a horrible. Uh, <laughs> raped it about the implication. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but uh, but I feel like I'm, after leaving Ten Cloverfield Lane, it's the akin, it's it's akin to what I would assume that the Marvel fanboys had to have, like, left that end credits finger, which is, like, I didn't realize before I sat down to watch this movie that that is possibly what I have to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And yet now I'm kind of excited and not only that but i also kind of want to rewatch this movie uh and recontextualize my thoughts uh but i guess should we get back to the movie yeah yeah let, let let's do that um you know we've we've not been rambling at all <laughs> but we've we've been kind of going back and forth on, on this for a little while so let's before we get to final thoughts on on 10 cloverfield lane let's just quickly just dis- discuss the after she gets out of the bar the bunker the bunker and and, the and in the moment when we see 
the alien where she has her call before the storm moment where she takes off her helmet and goes, Oh, that was all bullshit. And then all of a sudden here comes this weird sort of hybrid between a spaceship and an alien that just shows up and spouts off a little alien. And then the little alien comes and doesn't, it doesn't work out for the little alien for some reason. And then we get the smoke coming out of it and the, the arm and, and the, pulling her up and in, in, in the car and the whole thing. I just was like, man, rip off from War of the Worlds. You just stole this from that. Fuck. There are how many original ideas are there within the realm of speculative I fiction, understand, though? but there's so many little things that I was like, that's exactly what happened in War of the Worlds. Here's what I'll say, and I hate this because it's something I always criticize. So I'm going to do something that I always think is bullshit. I, I'm not going to say I would know how to rewrite this ending, mm-hmm. but just as far as to convey what I didn't like about it and what I maybe could have still went with, had it, whatever. But I think the fact that she gets out of the bunker is the first misstep of that ending. Not because you can't write a good ending with her getting out of the bunker, but there's a way to convey everything that they did with that ending and yet not go through those motions because I still think it would have been a much powerful ending and it would have still I think every other theme of the movie or uh, character uh, motivation development whatever would have still stayed intact had she somehow got trapped inside the bunker or she never whatever yeah, but she then look the, outside and but no I was gonna say but the camera goes above ground and then we get confirmation I visualize exactly what you're what you're saying right yeah and then smash cut credits because to quite literally physically manifest this completely pointless battle between her and Alien does not hold a candle to anything that came before, tension-wise, psychologically-wise, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or even just like set-piece-wise, because I don't think that... It's funny, for a movie that was trapped in a bunker, when she got out, I felt like that's when she was actually trapped, because she. it just felt like they... I don't know if they wasted their budget or whatever, but like she just couldn't really go anywhere. And I never felt like it was because of the alien. I felt like it was because they couldn't like create another set for her to run to. Um, I I think what you're saying is actually sounding to me quite interesting because she's just burned. Like she's, she's literally set a fire to all the food and everything that's below there and the place she could be living in. And she's fucked. She's damned if she doesn't. Damned if she doesn't. If she doesn't get out of that, that right sort of so. Yeah. And it would still, I would say, you know, effectively convey what it was trying to say, which was that like these two realities aren't black and white; they could exist at the same time. But like how that final climatic alien fight, whatever you want to call it, like how that works as an ending to what came before. I will never understand. <laughs> like, I could rewatch this movie and end up liking it, but I will never, I, I can put that on my table right now. I will never be okay with those last 10 minutes. And that's the other thing. It's it's, it's 10 minutes, which sounds like it's a, that means it's a smaller offense. But if anything, that's even worse because it just, it just exists. And it's somehow like it doesn't, like if it was a third act, that's different. And we always talk about like, third act problems in movies like um for example a good example recent for me is uh uh edge of tomorrow which is a movie i really like uh but i feel like that movie has a third act problem because once uh actually kind of very similar once tom cruise so to speak is out of his trapped situation that movie suffers just like she does in my opinion yeah specter had the same kind of problems going on and it's kind of like here it it almost tries to cheat by making that third act so condensed that you can't have a problem with it, mm-hmm. and yet by the nature of doing that, you just you completely show how weak it is. invalidated the connective tissue 
Twish you. 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 Bless you. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, it's getting late here. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but it by condensing it into that ten minutes, you just invalidated all the build up to it and anything that this possibly has to say as a denouement. So that's why that ending will never work for me, mm. uh, even if some of the other parts will maybe possibly grow in, uh, in replay value. Yeah. Tuzan, did you have anything more about the ending before we get to final thoughts? I don't uh, need to hijack that ending. That's okay. But... No, no. Um, no, I'm, I'm pretty much ready for my final thoughts right okay. now. Yeah. Well, why don't you start us off then? Okay, I think that is just so interesting how... My argument started out with, with, with Cloverfield and talking about how these two things exist simultaneously within the same body. Like you have J.J. Abrams' film and then you have Matt Reeves' film. And then I think that is also the same case with 10 Cloverfield Lane. There is, there is the alternate reality game that actually fills in other stuff along with, with 10 Cloverfield Lane, not hinting at anything that happens in the third act. But still, at the same time, like it, it contextualizes like Howard as a character and stuff. I think that's, it, it, it's, in, it's interesting in that way. And basically how, like, not only the film, not only the marketing, but also our, our opinions of these things can exist on this, on this cusp of, of being simultaneously favorable and disfavorable or even just disfavorable for very different reasons that are almost contradictory to one another or, or more of like, like clash with one another. Like if only it had been like this or had only it been like that, I feel like that is – I'm really excited about that. I'm excited that there's a franchise that Alex can like the first film, the, the, not the, the chronological first film of, and absolutely detest the second film, not on the merits of how it actually of, – of, 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 of necessarily like how it connects to the first film, but simply on the fact that you fought on its own. It was just a bad film. Mm. I, liked, I like that like even, even Nick – who did not have a favorable opinion necessarily of the first film and did not have a favorable opinion of this film is still excited, is still excited by simply the prospect of an anthological like film series that he would actually like go see a Cloverfield film. And I'm excited simply for the fact that I, I enjoyed both of these films and I'm looking forward to the next one, whether or not I'll enjoy it or not. I want to see how it builds on the thematic, the thematic schematic so to speak, the th- son of a the bitch. thematic schematic of Cloverfield, and I think like we, I'm excited for for this this, this franchise, and I'm, I'm excited, excited that you're excited. Yeah, hey man, yeah. thanks. Yeah, I was just like, we need this right now. I'm glad we have this. So yeah, yeah. So what was your rating? My rating, um, I would give uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane a four out of five. <laughs> so you're gonna say Ten Cloverfields out of ten? Oh, I give it Ten Cloverfields out of five. No, I wouldn't anyway. do that. I give it four. Okay, yeah. very good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, still, I really just was not a fan of of this film of what it was doing. I, I have to say that I, I'd be, I guess, I'd be lying to say that. Um, my disappointment over it not having any real crossover, in in my opinion, uh, didn't have an effect of how I felt about the film. At the same time, though, I just really wasn't interested in what was happening with the characters and with the story of this film. And we get to the final scene, which I think we all talked about was not the greatest. 
Um, I, I, I totally agree with that for different reasons that I think you guys do, uh, that I just did not really care for it. And it just didn't work for me on a film level and on a, on a and for this movie, it didn't really work at all. And I just, I just didn't care for it. I, I just didn't like so many parts of this movie. And I was just disappointed, uh, that it was not as good as its predecessor. And it also did not have some sort of overt connection to its predecessor and maybe that's just a bad thing to say maybe i'm just uh the you know part of the problem in in the marvel universe now but i i i liked the cloverfield you're the cloverfield movie. monster <laughs> sorry you're both of them oh, oh sorry, you're all three of them oh, four yeah one two three uh, 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 uh. oh my god this is this is gold right here no i I, I just I just wanted there to be because I liked the movie Cloverfield so much and I thought it would be cool to see some more close connection to it. So that disappointed me in the movie I felt just wasn't very good and I'm I'm gonna give this uh one and a half out of five. I just uh I was not really on board and I maybe I would like it a little bit more when I watch it a second time, but I, I just don't think so. So one and a half out of five for me for ten Cloverfield Lane. I gotta say, I will be seeing this movie again in theaters, uh, which is not a rarity for me. <laughs> I quite often see movies more than <laughs> once in the theater. Um, and that's why I'm going to start with my rating, which is that I'm going to give this two and a half out of five, because I am so torn between the things that I like about this movie I really like, and the things that I don't like about this movie I, I don't like at all. And I think one thing, and I think overall, after this conversation, even though it was not the case before this conversation, <laughs> after this conversation... I prefer 10 Cloverfield Lane to Cloverfield because I was, I mean, I will admit they were pretty much right there as far as my enjoyment of them, but I thought the one thing I'll say about 10 Cloverfield Lane that it, I thought it ultimately failed at, and I still think it kind of does, which was that, like you mentioned earlier, Toussaint, about how the, the essence of Cloverfield, the, the genre, so to speak, or the, the, the entity is that it mixes these things that shouldn't, you know, normally be mixed together. And can you can they pull it off? Can you have your cake and eat it too? Exactly. Yeah. Here I feel like compared to the first movie, like these slices of these cakes were so far apart from each other that they weren't having the cake and eat it too. They were like Okay, now we're going to have cake. Okay, now we're going to have ice cream. Where the fuck is the cake? <laughs> well, do you want it in a cone or a bowl? Yeah. <laughs> like, my daughter yeah. always liked it in a bowl. But, like, while the first movie, like, uh, mashed up the monster movie, the terrorist, almost underlying jo- whatever genre, and the found footage at the same time, and that was a cohesive thing, this movie keeps a lot of those parts separate. Like, it is a confined bunker psychological thriller. And yet, also in the last 10 minutes, it's the world of the world's action here and whatnot. And because that, – that was my initial reaction was I hated the fact that, you know, these parts didn't exist at the same time for me. And I'll say at the end of the day and after the end of this conversation, I'm coming around on Ted Cloverfield Lane as the one that I prefer. But that also, once again, speaks to my biases, which is that I just prefer movies that are set in confined to one place. I will say I was never – uh, like I was, I was 
always enjoying this, this movie when it was like the the, the jukebox montages, uh, when it was their dinner conversation, like when this really was tapping into the dark psychological uh, undercurrent of this situation, and you could forget for a moment that it, it, it that it wasn't even about the apocalypse or that it wasn't maybe even about aliens or that it even was a Cloverfield movie. Like that's when I was at the most enjoying this movie. It just starts to tip his hand every time I think it tries to remind you mm. that this is a Cloverfield project, so to speak. Okay. I'm torn between those two things. I'm thinking I'm going to like it upon a second watch. Yeah. So I, I'm right in the middle with two and a half. One last thing, and I feel like I have to like add this in just at the end. <laughs> Do it. I, uh, I actually went to go see this the second time with my dad. Hmm. And if you know the, the chronicle of me and my dad going to see movies, he usually like, takes me to go see some pretty shitty movies, but I made him yeah. go see this movie. And I'm just like, is it going to be a scary film? Look at me now, Dad. Is, is it going to be a be a scary film? And I'm just like, nah, it's not going to be scary. He was scared shitless throughout this <laughs> film. And he enjoyed it. He actually enjoyed it. Like You just like, got to get him in the seat. And I asked him, I was like, what did you think of that film? I was like, I'm really glad that you made me see that film, son. I'm just like, and, I'm, and going off of like your so opinion of it. I'm tearing up right now. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I was like, we enjoyed the film together. It's like that was good. So yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Hey, I'm 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 glad you like this film too. By the way, like I the, like this is not a movie that I watched, and I'm just like, man, if anyone else likes this, I don't know what the fuck they're watching. Like, I'm glad you were able to get enjoyment out mm-hmm. of this film and really like it. So yeah, so that's good. And yeah, I mean, I th- I think the same thing that I'm talking about about this uh, sort of having the connective tissue of of the name Cloverfield is making me very interested to see what happens at the box office with this after the first weekend when it beat out its projections and did 24 million domestically which for a film like this is a pretty high number. Yeah. I want to see what the drop off is into to week 2 and if no one's ever going to be interested in making another Cloverfield movie again which it took 8 years to yeah. to technically get this project. I feel like the model that both movies have kind of followed even though there are certainly different situations actually gives us its longevity and its ability to be made because nobody would have green-lighted mm-hmm. a Cloverfield's project, whatever, after Cloverfield. That's not to say that there will never be maybe a follow-up to the original like Cloverfield in like the same universe, but like who knows? We'll, well see. there better not be. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well... I think we're going to put a conclusion to this episode, but definitely uh, an interesting discussion I think we had about it, and um, I'm glad we did. And um, if, again, if you have any thoughts on Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane, or the universe or non-universe of Cloverfield, mm-hmm. you can always feel free to send those on to filmtankshow at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Coming up on episode 56 of Film Tanks, speaking of... Uh, superhero universes we're gonna move into superheroes for a couple of episodes and on the first one of our uh, superhero episodes we're going to talk about the dark knight trilogy which includes batman begins the dark knight and um the dark knight rises so the christopher nolan dark knight trilogy yep um definitely since i'm a huge batman fan and a christopher nolan fan i am obviously a fan of those films and i'll have a lot to say about it and about that and then coming up a week after that, uh, we're going to have a review of the Batman v Superman film, which will be coming out and may or may not be a fucking huge disaster. Batman v Superman, Donna Justice. You got to say the whole thing like a Tribe Called Quest because yeah. that's what they named it. And I'm going to call it that dumbass name till it dies. Okay. And we also at this point don't know if it'll actually be connected <laughs> 
to any previous Batman or Superman <laughs> no. You know what? You might be right. <laughs> I, think, <sighs> I, I think I know you are somewhat joking. I'm, I, I'm I, quite I, joking. Yeah, we're <laughs> really fucking joking. <laughs> I, have you seen my face? It's a joking face. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, we, we'll see, obviously. <laughs> and we will talk about it coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah. But uh, again, look forward to next week's episode talking about the Dark Knight trilogy. Again, you can always find all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, and on iTunes and Stitcher. And from Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much, as always, for listening to Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. 